it's Halloween. Peter, Halloween movies. What you got? Favorite scary flicks? Uh, you don't have to give too much away about the ones we're uh, talking about tonight if, if they land on there. But, um, you know, you don't have to have it all in like a, a top five or ten order or anything. Right. Some of your, your uh, top favorite scary movies growing sure. up now? Um, so, uh, besides anything going on tonight, um, I have uh, House of the Devil. Okay. I have yep, good. A, I, I have Alien. Okay. I have The Shining. Um, I okay. have uh, Psycho. Okay. Which I, uh, I have X. And then nice. I couldn't think of the name of it, but I thought of it when I was at the at the uh, China Lights tonight. But it's that one with Kurt Russell. It's like a, a western kind of, but it's like Bone Saw oh, or Bone Tomahawk. Yes, Bone Tomahawk. Yes, okay. <laughs> that uh, yeah. And then a uh, a special didn't make the list, but I thought I'd mention it. But we talked about it last week too. But Eyes Wide Shut. Uh, there's certain parts of that that really creep me out. So I I know it's not a horror movie per se, but there's some scenes horror, in it that right, are right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, The Shining and The Exorcist are always my kind of one A and and one B. And I, even though I've I've seen them so many times, I I don't necessarily find them particularly scary. Although they they're still eerie. They're not the kind of movies that if I if I watch it and then you know say I have to walk home from a place or whatever you know and then yeah. in the dark, they still they they linger and uh, you you still just based on how good of a director um, somebody like Kubrick is or William Friedkin. Uh, they they really make those movies feel lived in and, and realistic in a way that a lot of movies don't. And I, I still get kind of chills, even though I know what's going to happen. And it's more from the, the filmmaking. I just think they're they're terrific movies, terrific dramas and great movies on their on their yeah. own, whether horror movies or not. They're in my not just my top favorite horror movies, but they're probably in my top 10 movies of yeah. all time. I'd have to sit down and think about it, but for sure. Uh, they're in the conversation. Uh, Evil Dead, Evil Dead Two, uh, Reanimator is one I've always really loved, and, and now we're getting into some you know kind of horror comedy. But I think in terms of inno- innovativeness and, and rewatchability, that's got to be on my list. Um, From Dust Till Dawn kind of falls into that oh, same yeah. category. I, I don't, yeah, I don't consider it super scary, although it's it's got vampires and it's it's definitely got jumps and and all that but again kind of like reanimator it's it's funny it's well made it's entertaining as hell i can watch it literally anytime um yeah stuff like psycho and some of the Hitch- hitchcock stuff i i admire more than i i like or you know some people will say they can watch that over and over again i i don't find that to be true with me and hitchcock uh, right did you and i try to watch that when we were roommates i definitely watched it at that apartment i don't know if it was you and i or me and a girlfriend at the time but i remember trying to kind of watch it for the first time you know kind of all the way through we rented it or, or yeah i think we did we got it yeah because yeah, we were a... we were going to see the uh the gus van sant oh yes the infamous yeah remake <laughs> yeah uh-huh shot, and shot I, remake yeah and i don't know if we watched that before or after but that might have been that might have been yeah. the time that sounds kind of familiar that makes sense. Yeah, I remember that came out on my birthday. That was my my birthday that year. We went to go yeah. see that, and then <laughs> didn't we get into like some weird little fender bender where yeah. either somebody bumped me or I bumped them, or yeah, I don't remember exactly what happened. We were leaving Burger King to head to the Ridge, and uh, you turned out, and somebody bumped you, and you guys both decided there wasn't enough damage to proceed yeah. with anything. 
I thought the guy rear-ended me and then accused me of stopping or something. And then, and then I, and then I'm like, well, you know, first of all, you rear-ended me, so whatever. But then also, he's like looking at his bumper, and there's like a, a dent or a scratch. And he's like, well, I hit a deer last week or something. I'm like, well. <laughs> I, I just couldn't remember if, if I hit him or he hit, or how that exactly happened. He but yeah, hit he you from behind. Yeah. Yeah. And that was somehow my fault, apparently. I don't know how that even works. but Yeah, that guy was kind of a knob, but at least we didn't uh, yeah. have to get didn't caught up in insurance. Thing. Right. We were able yeah, to exactly. make the whole wonderful film of Psycho. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, well, the funny thing is, too, we weren't even old enough to drink or anything like that. So it wasn't, you know, a stupid thing yeah. of that nature is literally just a freak right occurrence or accident so yeah anyway um i'm trying to think uh some of the other ones here I, you know I, I love dawn of the dead that's a that's a seminal one i even like the remake uh some some of the newer horror movies reboots remakes whatever i, I sometimes tend to like a little more than even some of the originals uh friday the 13th for instance we're going to talk about this um uh, original one tonight but i i really enjoy the reboot from 2009 i think it's kind of a functions as almost like a greatest hits package of the first four or five of of the original fridays and it kind of just gets everything right and in there and then updates it with a uh, more shall we say hollywood sheen which i guess i can understand why some people don't like that but it it moves and and rips through in a way that a lot of those older ones don't um Texas Chainsaw Massacre, that's the exception, not the exception of the rule. I'm not saying all the remakes are better for sure, but uh, I definitely don't like the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies, whereas I think the original is still a very effective horror film. Um, and then we've been watching some of these kind of low budget slashers that I sort of get into from time to time, Black Christmas and uh, Pieces and things of that nature, where they're just a little grimy, a little more gritty low budget grindhousey type thing i i get into that from time to time so horror really isn't my genre overall though as you can see by exorcist shining uh you know more more recent friday the 13th and stuff i definitely like a more more polished kind of um and friday the 13th isn't this but psychological and and kind of cerebral horror than i do the the 80s slashers and stuff like that i have a good time with them i think a lot of them are fun but i like stuff that's a little more innovative and, and yeah. sort of topical and you know like the romero movies are, are definitely a sort of a social commentary and allegory and all this stuff and i find that a lot more interesting than just a, a guy running around hacking up college co-eds or whatever so <laughs> right uh, but so i don't know i don't know if i hit 10 somewhere in there uh those those are those are the ones i, I really like dawn of the dead night of the living dead i even like the dawn of the dead remake um to think of anything off the top of my head of some of the newer ones i really like uh the witch and some of those a24 movies and a lot of people will say hereditary um or midsummer i don't i don't like those quite as well as the witch i like jeremy uh sullier or sullier's um green room and blue rune those aren't technically traditional horror movies but they definitely have horror elements uh, so stuff like that is definitely more my wheelhouse house of the devil you mentioned i love that one that's one of my favorites yeah. of the last uh, whatever it's been, I would have said ten years, but I think it's even been more than that because God, time. I think flies. it was 09. Yeah, but I think we've been lucky with some of these remakes. I, I think you know they're maybe not better than the original, but stuff like Evil Dead, I think, is you know it stands on its own. It's a it's a good movie, and it doesn't insult the uh, 
uh, the original in any way, even if you don't think it's as good and it's good for different reasons. I mean, obviously these older movies are great because they're low budget and these, these visionary directors and uh, these you know young hungry actors do so much with so little. And, and that's why that stands out. But I think the Hollywood product can be, can be just as good sometimes in, in a, in a different way, even though you don't yeah. maybe give it as much credit because they had so much more to work with but and they're also just redoing something that was already done and sort of laid out for them but uh, i do i do enjoy a lot of the the remakes that have been coming out lately so so yeah i like i like horror i'm not as uh, versed in it as some so if people are listening to this podcast right now thinking we're gonna do deep dives into some of this stuff or have a bunch of knowledge and affection for the genre they might be a little disappointed but yeah. um we'll we'll do our best to to power through um i suppose i should say this this is a podcast called the big 4-0 with ron and peter i'm ron i'm peter all right uh we have no music no ads none of that bullshit uh <laughs> so i mean if if some company wants to offer us even like 20 bucks for an ad space i'm gonna do it I, you know i just yeah. right now I, it's easy to say like <laughs> say, oh, yeah, it's something we don't have you don't have to worry about it on this podcast uh the music thing yeah i don't know about that but Maybe when we start getting those twenty bucks rolling in, we'll, we'll find, pay somebody to figure it out for us. But uh, right. right now, we'll yeah, we'll we'll lean into the fact that that's what sets us apart. But uh, I like to keep it real. I mean, you know, like if, if a fucking like wily wobbly offers me money to say it tastes better than Twizzlers or some shit, I, I ain't doing it. <laughs> Wily wobbly. <laughs> at least, at least not for less than a grand or something. I don't know. Right. I'm sure I have a price, but. <laughs> i'm not i'm not selling out for the 20 bucks or anything they can they can just throw that our way i guess but anyway until then you guys get this ad free music free nothing but just just content so uh so so it's halloween as we said uh it's it's another dead week in 1983 so as we like to do here at the big 4 uh when there's a lull in the schedule meaning movies we either aren't interested in or can't get a hold of from 40 years ago we like to do a bonus episode with the focus on some classic movies that came before our podcast namesake timeline so tonight uh, is a good excuse as uh, any to cover two movies we otherwise wouldn't get to um how appropriate for the occasion uh sean carpenter's halloween uh, 1978 and sean s cunningham's friday the 13th from 1980 which in many ways owes a debt to the success of halloween um we'll get into some of that but both films are seminal and annual favorites in their genre and both spawned a lengthy series of sequels and reboots uh, so as always, even though I know the answer this time, Peter, have you seen, do you like, and what is your history with the original Halloween and Friday the 13th? Uh, well, the um, <clears throat> Halloween is, I didn't want to bury the lead, but Halloween is my favorite horror movie of all time. I've seen it probably 30 or some times, and uh, especially watching it for this, it's uh, it's it's so entertaining and so good big big fan of of that movie obviously if i've seen it 30 times friday the yeah. 13th i had never seen before i had never seen the original friday the 13th i'd seen i've seen three uh <laughs> seven and eight okay <laughs> and those aren't exactly the the best ones by the no. way but <laughs> um, no, that, that yeah. was it but uh how about you? Yes. 
Well, we did the the podcast uh, for back a year ago. We did Halloween, or uh, sorry, Friday the Thirteenth three on the podcast, um, and that is our infamous lost episode. I have no idea what happened to that. I forget which movie we paired with it, but it's gone, lost to the sands of time. That's another reason I'm when when I initially uh, suggested we do this, and I said Halloween and Friday the Thirteenth. My initial reaction was, "What can we do for around Halloween?" I said, "Well, maybe we can redo the." Friday the 13th part three episode. But then I remember you saying you hadn't even seen the original. So I said, fuck it. Uh, let's do the original Friday the 13th. And then I also remember you saying that on a couple occasions we did Halloween three um, yeah. on the pod. And I remember you talking about then and probably during Friday the 13th three also how Halloween was your favorite horror movie. So figure that made sense. They're both the the first in their, in their series and they're both obviously appropriate for Halloween and they're both huge classics. Like I said, so that made some sense. Um, hollow. I, I've, I've seen all of them. I've seen the Friday the 13th movies many times. I'm sure I've mentioned this, that every once in a while, every maybe decade or so, I'll get the Jones to be like, let me just watch all those again. Let's, let's binge them. Maybe I'll like them better this time. And they're all varying degrees of fun, varying degrees of terrible, varying degrees of frustrating. Um, I, I, I never walk away thinking any of them are, are great movies or finally loving one that I didn't love or anything like that, but they all have things in them I like and they're they're suitably entertaining but they're they're also hard to keep straight there's so many of them and I can never keep straight which one has this character and that character and this girl and that girl and where Jason does this thing and um so it's it's just it's fun to watch him for that reason but they they all kind of get kind of blended together in my my head but um I I do like rediscovering which ones have which things in them and there's there's small pleasures generally to be sure in each one but there's some I, I really enjoy and others that I mostly just kind of find sort of meh and, and boring and going through the motions. But uh, Halloween, I am I definitely have not seen it 30 times. I have seen it. I did a I think around the time they started rebooting them, I did a dive into them and watched all the original maybe six or something like that. And then the the zombies, the Rob zombies as well. I know there's a couple others in there from the late nineties. That's a, that series is a bit of a tougher nut for me to crack because the, the chronology and, and all that is all screwed up. So whereas Friday the 13th, it, it kind of just goes in order. You don't have to right. really remember what happened in the last one and, or some movie three movies ago, because now this one is like jettisoned the, the last three or whatever it is. So Halloween is, is a much more convoluted thing to, to follow. And I think a lot less, fun overall than friday the 13th i'm not saying they're necessarily worse movies but as a series it just doesn't have the 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 just sort of bam 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 kind of enjoyability like even if you think the movie's kind of dumb at least there's some you know cool shit happening every 20 minutes or something like that i don't think some of the later halloween movies really rank that high in terms of entertainment value but anyway just in terms of the first one yes uh I was happy to revisit it. I've always thought it's a, a great movie and a uh, certainly the granddaddy of its type, and um, it still holds up today, as we'll we'll get into. So, uh, anyway, if you want to take us through Halloween, since it's your favorite movie or, or favorite horror movie, you sure. Yeah. I didn't do the research on this, but I I know it's one of the first John Carpenter movies. Um, you could it's second, I believe. Okay. And you know it's you can you can kind of tell it's done on a not a shoestring budget, but it's everything's done 
pretty pretty bare bones pretty simple it's all you know it's shadows it's uh it's just uh tricks with the not any sort of cgi or any sort of special effects it's all just done pretty straightforward straight laced and it's it's a uh it's it's super well done for that for that fact and you got a movie where you start in 1963 with uh, young michael myers um in a clown suit and he uh, kills his sister and and he's wearing yeah wearing like a clown mask and kills his sister goes downstairs his parents find him and then he's sent to an institution you know probably for the rest of his life and yep. fast forward to 1978 15 years later in uh, Haddonfield Illinois we Michael has escaped from the mental institution and is going to his old town his old house I would say that's the gist of the movie there's obviously a lot more to it but and and more more stuff comes out later in other movies which you may or may not make sense towards the plot but uh you know J- Jamie Lee Curtis is pretty much the main character in this movie besides Michael Myers she's a, a high school student who kind of lives in the same area as the old Myers household and he kind of picks her as his as his main target when he comes back to Haddonfield and the movie pretty much goes from there with him constantly stalking her and and the friends that she associates with right it doesn't the sequel uh reveal that it's his sister that's his sister yep yeah i think it's in i think it's the second one that they reveal that in yeah towards the end but i can't remember for sure i don't know if they said it later on in like four or five but yes that is and i mean that uh that would make that'd be a good uh reason or at least that makes sense as opposed to just random yeah (laughs) yeah right yeah, well, the movie, you know, it it hits immediately with that iconic score and and font and the jack o' lantern and and everything. You know, as soon as it as soon as it starts, it's just instant. Um, I, I assume even if you haven't hadn't seen it before, or if you don't know anything about, if you never heard that that uh, iconic title theme and all that, I assume it's effective on its own because it certainly seems like it is. But uh, obviously it's kind of like Rocky or something like that, where you throw it on and you, you hear that, that theme and you, you see the, like I said, the, the Halloween font and just that, that jack-o'-lantern in the little corner while the credits are rolling and, and all that. That's just something that, like I said, it just kind of, it kind of grabs you right from the, the jump part of its nostalgia and, and knowing what it is. But I think, like I said, even without that part of it, if you were just to show it to somebody who was unfamiliar with it, I think that would be a, a pretty, captivating opening just oh absolutely stylistically yeah everything um and the first image is that shaky pov cam uh pushing in on the house and there's teens making out and there's jump synth notes as the bedroom light goes out and the the pov camera kind of stalks through the house and you see a hand grabbing a knife and all the things that'll soon become staples of every slasher and I, i don't know i'm sure there was a lot of this maybe pre-Halloween, it's, it's kind of an easy way to mask per, potential budget restraints and, and whatnot, just have the, the camera be the killer. But it's it's certainly one of the earlier examples in slasher movies of, you know, how how well that can be that can be done. Um, 
like I said, I don't think they necessarily invented that. I can think of movies like, say, Black Christmas from 1974, which, by the way, I'll get into in some of the research on this. But Bob Clark, who we, who we talked about, he's the director of Porky's and Porky's 2 and, and a couple other movies we mentioned on this podcast before. But he directed Black Christmas, which uh, John Carpenter, I guess, was approached to do something of a sequel to it. And then that's how Halloween came about. So, Oh, okay. Yeah, like I said, we can get into it a little more in the research, but but at any rate, uh, there's there's a clear nod to to Psycho with that first kill, um, you know, just the way the knife's coming down and and that sort of thing, and so that obviously Carpenter is is showing some love for his influences, but like I said, this movie definitely feels fresh and and of a thing all of its own, and then you've got all these other movies in in the wake of this that just sort of kind of capitalized on that and, and spun it off into new things and, and what have you. But it, it definitely feels like the sort of the granddaddy of, of this sort of slasher movie, if not slashers in general. Um, like you said, we, we fast forward after uh, Michael puts on a clown mask and kills his sister. And of course that's after she has sex with her boyfriend. So this, I don't know if it begins, but once again, it, uh, it, it sort of, elevates this idea of people who in a movie like this if you have sex you're gonna you're going to die so it's, yes. the, it's only the the virginal teens who survive or that that final final girl but um anyway 15 years later uh pleasance as dr loomis is driving to the sanitarium with a nurse to transfer myers for a court date talking about how Myers hasn't spoken 15 years uh, he needs to be heavily sedated somehow Myers is either already known to be some unstoppable killer or evil or whatever, or Loomis at least somehow knows that I'm not really sure if he's been institutionalized this whole time, though he does. Uh, Pleasance does have a sort of monologue later on in the movie where he talks about how he, he visited him and he just realized this kid had, you know, black eyes and nothing behind them. And he's just pure evil and, and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, he, he, he killed, his sister but he's been locked up since then so again i I don't know how (laughs) how he knows he's just the embodiment of evil or what he would do if he gets out but um and then they they arrive at the the sanitarium or or whatever it is and and they find the inmates uh, or patients just wandering around in the front yard in the dark and in the rain which is creepy Uh, it's it's effective (laughs) Yeah. And then Pleasance gets out to investigate. Uh, Myers attacks the nurse Pleasance is traveling with, steals the car, drives off, and Loomis shouts, Oh my God, the evil has escaped! <laughs> or something <laughs> of that nature. So <laughs> there was a, I want to say about 1980 or 81, they went back and shot a couple bonus scenes uh, for a TV edit. And one okay. of the scenes, one of the scenes that they showed, which I saw one time on TV, was uh, Loomis visiting a teenage Michael Myers, and Michael Myers is just sitting on a bed, staring out the window, and all you ever see okay. is the, the back of his head, and Loomis is in the doorway of his room talking to him, and you know it's obviously just Loomis yeah. talking and and whatever, right. so that. That was a bit, apparently they shot it like two or three years after the fact, which is kind of funny. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, I did a little bit of research on this, but I didn't come across, didn't come across that. So that's cool. Um, then we go back to Haddonfield. This movie takes place in Haddonfield, Illinois. Um, that's where Myers lived 
initially when he murdered his sister and then that's where he goes back to after he steals the car and breaks out uh jamie lee curtis she's walking to school she's firming up babysitter plans for the evening Myers is stalking the neighborhood. I like how they just shoot him from behind, you know, or just a shoulder or like the yeah. vertical half of his body or whatever. That's one of the more effective filmmaking techniques in this movie uh, from Carpenter is how, and then he's credited in the credits as the shape, right? So right. not even Michael Myers, but which is, that's kind of what he is. He's just this sort of hulking silhouette that is, is just there and around that and, that's effectively creepy, we'll say. So, yeah, I thought that was cool. Loomis is 150 miles away yelling at the cops. I tried to warn everybody and the <laughs> cops are like, you know, he doesn't know how to drive a car. And, and Loomis is like, well, he was doing very well last night, which I guess this is one people or some people's hung up, hang up on this movie is that uh, how, how does Michael, who's been institutionalized since he was a little kid, know how to drive a car? But. I mean, it's really not that hard if you're an adult to kind of learn right. how to drive a car. <laughs> uh, it's not like it was an automatic or anything. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, if you know gas, brake, and, and whatnot, right. it's, it's not too tough. But. <laughs> uh, so there's kids getting picked on at school. Myers is there watching. Again, we just see him from behind, afar, or, you know, waist down, or or as a camera POV. Uh, Curtis sees him out the window in, in class. She looks away, looks back, then he's gone. He follows the kid in the car and, and then ultimately leaves him alone. That's all pretty good stuff because you think something's going to happen there. And in reality, he doesn't really do anything. He's just kind of driving around town and, and walking around the neighborhood and things yeah. like that. Which, <laughs> which is, is a little silly. I mean, the, the neighborhood always seems fairly deserted but here you got this guy in a white mask and, and right. uh, you know he's he's huge from what we can see yeah. and and he, he's just driving around walking around going in between people's bushes and, and yards mm -hmm. and stuff and nobody's able to to actually identify him or catch him i guess but uh uh loomis assumes he's going back to haddonfield again tries to warn the police uh curtis's friend linda uh, who keeps saying totally, which she's the most obnoxious character in this movie. <laughs> that being uh, PJ Souls, right? Yep, yep. And then you also have her friend Annie. She makes some comment uh, as Myers is driving by, like, hey, jerk, speed kills, which is funny because he's driving stalkerly slow, but, but then he slams on the brakes and sits there for what Carpenter makes feel like an eternity and then just kind of moves on. So like I was saying, he's just kind of, driving around doing this stalkery thing but isn't isn't really doing anything yet but um yeah I, I just thought that scene was kind of funny he really didn't seem to be driving too fast driving that then... fast right <laughs> i'm trying to remember the uh oh yeah <laughs> when he when he's turning the corner they're like is that devon graham oh he's so cute <laughs> yeah <laughs> i always thought that was funny just a random name <laughs> yeah they, the way they try to make them up is these sort of giggly high school girls, even though they seem a little old for that is, is kind of funny in this movie, mm -hmm. but whatever that's typical, they always got people in their twenties playing high school kids or, or sometimes even older. So whatever, just, just in keeping with the genre, I guess. Right. But Annie and Lori are, are walking and Lori sees Myers behind a bush and he goes to investigate. And naturally, once again, he's not there. Yeah. The, the, the things they do in this movie to, in, to sort of, 
give you this idea of suburban Haddonfield, I mean, they, they make the houses look so open. The doors are always open. Windows are open. Curtains are blowing. You know, it's, it's all sunny and welcoming and quiet and just kind of inviting anyone in. It's almost, you know, kind of like subliminal eeriness. Yeah, which I liked. It was it was a unique, unique thing as opposed to the eerie, eerie yeah. town or whatever that everything looks scary. This, yeah, it's a nice... Um, yeah, but it's it is scary. You know, Jamie Lee Curtis walks into a house that the doors are open, the the curtains are blowing around. You know, there's a a killer out there, and you know, it's like this guy could be in here anyway. So it's it's <laughs> it, the movie does a good job of waiting a, a a fairly long time before anything actually happens. There's all this kind of foreshadowing in these scenes where things could happen, but it, it it takes a while to ramp up. But it's just you know, it's building suspense every time she walks into a house or a room. You go, oh, is this gonna be is this gonna uh-huh. be it? Is he finally gonna pop out here and <laughs> It definitely has fun playing with the audience, that's for sure. So, Laurie sees Myers out in the yard uh, behind the house, you know, in, in the hanging laundry. Uh, then he's gone, naturally. Uh, she gets a crank call with no one on the other line, but her friend calls back and says it was her. Uh, all, all scary stuff mounting as she's already uneasy about this guy she keeps seeing all of a sudden. If your, your phone rings and no one's there, you don't assume there's a killer outside or if, you know, some jerk drives by you you don't assume that guy's gonna get out and kill you or if you see somebody behind a bush you don't assume it's a escaped killer so there is that sort of ebb and flow of yeah we just go about our lives oblivious to the fact that we could be being stalked or or murdered at any moment if there's a (laughs) killer on the loose but (laughs) but it does kind of do some of the cliched stuff of uh you know the the phone and nobody's there and and that sort of thing but yeah, and they didn't, uh, yeah, the, thankfully there's stuff like that is few and far between, but yeah, every every horror movie, no matter how good it is, is going to have some cliche moments. Not every, but a lot of these types of movies are going to... Oh, you're right. Most of them, sure, yeah. Yeah. This isn't, this isn't like trying to be big religious uh, exploration into evil or, or anything like that. It's It's still a slasher movie, even though it's better than most or, or definitely more restrained than a lot of them and uh, has has a lot more going on with it it's still at the end of the day that's what it is so it's there to go through the motions and, and give you the same thrills but so michael myers goes to judas myers grave sister and, and it's gone and loomis says he came home and then <laughs> there's a scene where the girls are driving and there's a car behind them and you know we all assume they're being followed and and Annie's dad ends up being the, the Haddonfield chief of police and they pull up next to him and uh, the car just kind of keeps on going. So that's another kind of fun scene where you think something's going to happen and then Carpenter veers off into some other direction and and it doesn't. Yeah, definitely. Like I said, Annie's dad is the chief of police, uh, tells her someone broke into the hardware store and this is kind of funny he goes all they stole was a halloween mask some rope and a couple of knives then he goes it's probably just kids okay a that's a literal murder kit (laughs) (laughs) and these are police officers yeah and then b i mean I, I do like how Annie's just like, oh, daddy, you blame everything on kids. <laughs> and then just sort of, you know, drives off. It's just like, okay. I mean, <laughs> the town clearly is is oblivious to the fact that they could be in any sort of danger, which, again, I guess makes sense. You come from a small town and it's safe there most of the time. Although it is a town that has this past of this guy wigging out and murdering his sister. So stuff clearly 
happens or has happened yeah. there, but I guess I don't know, it was fifteen years ago, so maybe everybody's sort of moved on if it's been all safe sunshine and rainbows since then. I don't know. But um what happens after that? Loomis and the sheriff go to the old Myers house, and of course it's been vacant since the murders back in sixty three. Kids say it's haunted. My question is, who's responsible for a house like that? And are the neighbors not super pissed that there's this one untended to and <laughs> potentially haunted house just on the block that nobody's doing anything with? Yeah, that was. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I thought about that too. I know that Jamie Lee Curtis's dad. I don't know if he's a salesman or something, but he was going to be selling the Myers house because she ha- he has her yeah. drop the key off at the front. So, but yeah, for 15 years or however long the parents moved out of there. It sure looked, yeah, beautiful neighborhood, and then you got this one house, but I suppose every neighborhood has a house sort of like that. Yeah, I guess so, but I mean, just seems like, especially something where something so horrible happened, and <laughs> True. on top of that, they're just going to leave it there and let it just sort of decay, and <laughs> everybody's just cool with it being on the block, and nobody doing yeah. anything with it. I feel like the, <laughs> I feel like there's a neighborhood association that should be getting in there and... <laughs> Maybe wanted raised or something, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah good point. Anyway, uh, in the house, they find a, a murdered dog, and Loomis says he got hungry. It's more he's this crazy slash you know evil exposition from Pleasance, which is which is fun in this movie. Then he tells the tale of Myers, and it's it's genuinely chilling. There's some some great writing on on Carpenter's part, and a good monologue from Pleasance. I I could I suppose paraphrase the lines, but like I said, he was talking about how he went to visit him and. He he just he thought he was visiting with pure evil. His his eyes were were vacant, and there was nothing behind them. And, and he was just all he lives to do is to to kill. Um, we don't really know why. It seems like other than Myers's issues, it was a normal family. But right, <laughs> and he was fairly young too. So I'm not I'm not sure exactly what the what tripped his trigger there. But I guess if yeah, if you're just born evil and, and messed up then that's and, and like we were talking about i know the uh, sequels try to delve more into you know his backstory and I, I think there's some that connect him to the the druids or some shit right. when you get down into like five or six, six or yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway for this movie it's it's still you know it, it's one of those questions where you go well why that maybe doesn't make a lot of sense but then also not knowing is is probably more chilling than whatever explanation they could come up with. He stalks Annie who has no choice, but to take all of her clothes off in the kitchen while Myers watches because of this epic spill where she splashed like an unseeable amount of whatever she had on the stove on her. Popcorn and then she goes, to, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she's like, Oh, I gotta, I, I just splashed all over me and she has to take all of her clothes off. Um, and then she goes to do laundry right away, and of course her laundry room is in some shed across the yard, which I don't get how many people have their their washer and dryer in a separate adjacent building. Right. right. <laughs> Especially in a big house like that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. again, though, these are the, the kind of decisions and scenes we laugh at for being nonsensical in, in movies like this and characters do things you'd never do in real life but but i mean think of how many times you've gone outside for some dumb thing at night or gone down into the dark basement or did laundry or whatever dumb thing at at some time you'd never normally do that because you needed it for whatever random reason um i mean obviously 
what what are the chances of being murdered while doing any of that but these movies are you know that that's the one in three billion chance or whatever that it would happen but <laughs> i suppose theoretically if you had a neighbor stalking your neighborhood and you or not a neighbor a killer stalking your neighborhood um and you you know had to run outside your car to get something in the middle of the night you wouldn't <laughs> think like oh, i'm gonna be murdered or yeah. oh that's a cheesy cliche in a in a horror movie or whatever i mean that's stuff people do so if you happen to do that and there's a killer out there then i guess you're fucked but exactly make it unrealistic or anything so uh carpenter is still playing with the genre you know expectations of this movie before uh there were really any expectations i guess to to play with or even really a genre uh in the ways we talked about where the obvious thing doesn't happen uh, when or where you think it will he's teasing us with these ominous shots and moments and here's another one where Annie goes to the laundry room and you assume that's a dumb decision because Myers is going to get her or you know having her make this dumb decision was just a lazy excuse to get her outside so she can be murdered but then it doesn't happen and then she locks herself in the laundry room and you assume oh okay here it comes and then nope then she gets out and just goes on with her night and you know it's just another way Carpenter is toying with expectations and He's he's kind of playing with us, you know, like a, a cat toying with a mouse yeah. or something. It's it's pretty great. So. It's great tension building for sure. Even you know, manufacturing a reason to get her out of her clothes has no real payoff. You don't see too much. There's a, just here from behind when she takes her shirt off. There's no, you know, boobs or anything like that. So, uh, yeah. So he obviously just enjoys kind of fucking with us and and what our knowledge of these kind of movies or our expectations are with them and. Um, there's a scene where a character takes the phone off the hook and you think, oh, sure, someone will try to call and then, you know, they won't be able to get through and then that person's going to die and blah, blah, blah. And then that doesn't happen either. So it's it's like, why introduce that? You know, but but he does. And I think the fact that there's not a payoff is intentional. I don't think he's just doing all this stuff just to just because and, and then forgetting to <laughs> to pay off with it. I think he definitely wants us to be assuming something's going to happen and then playing with the fact that it's yeah I, f- I forgot about that that's a that was a good catch i didn't even catch that part yeah with the well phone. how about this laurie and the kid are watching the thing which is a <laughs> film carpenter would remake in the near future obviously so and that's another carpenter movie we talked about on the pod and uh, i think we both agreed it's one of the best I, I probably forgot to mention that when i was talking about great horror movies i that's wondered about definitely... that too i was like i should have mentioned that <laughs> yeah you can't uh you can't beat that movie for sure so, Annie is eventually murdered in a scene that goes on just a little longer than most would, you know, most would. It makes it uncomfortably effective. Also, they have her do the smart thing uh, where you're shouting at the screen, which is lay on the horn. You know, when she gets in the car and Myers is in the back seat and he, he pops up and strangles her and, and you're just like, honk the horn and you know, she does it. But of course, nobody really hears her or anything. But yeah, she, her, her death is a little over the top at least her performance of it. But uh, like I said, it, it just kind of Carpenter lingers on it a little longer than most would, or, or it goes on a little longer than most would. And I think that makes it kind of effective. And does he strangle her first and then stab her? Does he remember. stab her? I can't even remember. Or does he, does he slit her throat? Maybe he slits her throat. I think he, yeah, he eventually like does something. Eventually. Yeah. 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 I think he's, he's like strangler from behind and then he eventually slits her throat. But Either way, like I said, it, it takes a while and, and that makes it a little more effective. And, and like I said, she's not 
too stupid to not fight back or or lay on the horn or, or whatever a lot of people would do in a movie like this just to keep the plot moving so the killer doesn't get caught or hurt or or found out i like the little moment where pleasance gets a really satisfied smile on his face after scaring a couple of kids and i also like how <laughs> how gentle and quiet and understanding he he tried to make the way he scared them he's just kind of like whispering from across the street to get him away from this house or whatever so they don't end up getting killed by myers or whatever and it, and it just tracks so well with his character and then you know, he says this thing the kids kind of freak out and, and then he kind of gets this little self-satisfied <laughs> smile on his face i thought it was a cool moment for his character yeah I, you know, Pleasance to me in this movie, I'm kind of, I'd say 70, 30 good. I mean, I, I'd, well, I love Pleasance in this movie. Let me make that known. But yeah, some of his, some of his acting or some of his lines are, are you know, he's obviously being a bit over the top, but he, mm-hmm. I still love him in these, in this movie and his. Oh yeah. I thought he was really good in this. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean by some of the, like, he needed to eat or evil is a skater, you know, some of yeah. that stuff, but <laughs> right. But I mean, he's doing the best with the material, and and I don't think Carpenter's script is bad necessarily, despite some of those sort of over the top lines, I guess. But it's the kind of movie this is where you got this guy who's sort of obsessed, and he knows that this guy is pure evil and all that. So it it tracks that. Yeah. If he were to escape and get out into the world, or people aren't listening to him, or or not believing what he's saying, or or heeding his warnings well enough, or whatever it is that he would kind of lose it that way and and i think it tracks with his character and he's he does well with it so i have no problem with the the dialogue or or pleasance's performance at all so. cut to totally linda and her boyfriend drinking beers and talking about having sex linda's boyfriend is pinned to the wall even though that wouldn't really work i, I don't know how myers can stab somebody with a butcher knife that probably wouldn't even make it through your whole body never mind far enough through you wall. and then into the into the wall and that, that knife hang. yeah well and that knife would have to be pretty damn strong to hold up 190 pounds or whatever that guy right <laughs> <laughs> but that's just another trope you know in movies like this but yeah you need like a three foot long knife and you'd have to hit a stud in the wall and <laughs> you know i don't know i don't know how else that would work but <laughs> but i do like how myers just kind of stands there staring at his handiwork you know he's kind of yes. slowly moving his head side to side like a curious puppy or something (laughs) Uh, he he really does just feel like a vacant headed zombie who just likes to kill you know and i think that's one thing that makes him a chilling character and and iconic villain in in a movie like this i totally agree that's that's one of my favorite scenes is that that shot of him kind of just the silhouette silhouette of him yeah from the side angle looking at this thing and tilting his head that's that's such a classic shot to me. Agree, hundred percent. It's great, and you know that, that's kind of his vibe moving forward in these movies too. So, and and some of the best stuff too is when he's just looking like he's out to to kill because that's what he's sort of programmed to do or whatever, and he's got no other other purpose or, <laughs> or anything that he he lives for or cares about. It's clearly just to to kill people, and I don't know. I think it jumps the shark and what is it? Halloween kills, I think is the one where it just gets too mean spirited and it just kind of revels in him just sitting there like stabbing people repeatedly while they just look at him and, and you know, and, and slowly. Yeah. And it's just like, God damn. I mean, I get he's, he's evil and a killer and all this shit, but like, do we really just have to see him 
like revel in this uh but you know in a movie like this it, it's more of a basic just these these are people who are going to die and we'll show you that Myers is evil and crazy but we're not going to sit there and and really just indulge in the violent sick depravity of just watching someone die in front of you and and pain and all that and that's where movies like this kind of lose me and then they stop being fun you know and I'm not a prude by any means I can handle people getting killed and and I'm also a fan of all the different ways that some of these slasher movies go about coming up with just different crazy scenarios of how people can be killed and stuff like that but when it's when it when they really just revel in it and the the sadistic sort of murdery violence that's where I kind of I don't find it fun anymore. You know, it's not sure. It's not I like, totally agree. It's not like gross. And I got to turn away and be like, Oh, I can't handle this. But it's just kind of like, this isn't like, why would, why would you want to watch this? It's not, you're not making it fun. You're making it. Right. It's the uh, perfect, gross. perfect term for overkill. Right. Cause they're mm-hmm. literally overkilling. <laughs> yeah. 100%. Now we move to the climax. Uh, Lori is finding all the bodies Michael left for her, including putting his, mom's or i guess it's not his mom including putting his sister's headstone on the bed in front of annie which that that's a weird payoff for taking that headstone like that reveal or whatever means nothing you know it's like if he put it on the front yard of an old house or something you know it just it's it's just laying on a bed and a random victim in front of it doesn't really warrant carrying that thing around and upstairs and shit those (laughs) I mean, those things are insanely heavy, but then again, I mean, I guess Myers is pretty insane, and so I don't know. I guess maybe it makes some sense. I'm not sure, but <laughs> I just thought there was going to be a bigger bigger payoff with that headstone and why he took it and what he's going to do with it rather than just sticking it on a bed and laying Annie in front of it. I mean, she's not even She's not even a Myers, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, Myers goes after Lori. Tommy is the slowest little shit. Going to the door when she's banging on it and screaming her head off. Oh my and he's just god! Like rubbing his eyes and moseying <laughs> towards it, like got all the fucking time in the world. Yeah, why was he having such trouble opening that door? Like I don't fucking know. <laughs> just to make my anxiety go through the roof, probably. Yeah, right. I mean, it's like, all obviously just for right. the audience. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I like in that that sort of iconic finale where. Jamie Lee Curtis is in the closet and she tries to kind of, I don't know what she wraps around the door. If it's like a hair tie or, or something, a ribbon or whatever she, she wraps around the door to keep him out. First of all, I don't know why he was having so much trouble breaking into that closet. I mean, it's just any one of us can just punch a hole in that closet. Yeah. Which he eventually <laughs> does. There. Right. <laughs> yeah. Which he finally does. But yeah, um, I also, I kind of like the moment where the light goes on during all that chaos. I, I'm sure that was planned. Or oh intentional, yeah. But, but it just, yeah, it just kind of happens in, in the chaos. And then all of a sudden it lights up the closet and, and you can kind of see what's going on. And then the lights swinging back and forth and everything. And I thought that was, that was a pretty cool. Uh, right. The, uh, the scene where Loomis shoots Michael, he shoots him. Or no, what does he do? Oh yeah. Cause Myers is chasing Lori into the hallway and, she kind of knocked his mask off and you see his face yeah. in a little bit of shadow, but you can see enough of his face. Yeah. For about he's not that bad. I didn't yeah. Think. Right. His eyes kind of gloomy or something, but yeah, he's clearly got, you know, whatever, but it's not like he's a complete 
Right. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, he was never supposed to be like deformed, right? Like no. he wasn't as a boy. So. No, he wasn't. I I don't know if I don't know if it was just maybe the way his eyes looked in that lighting or something. His his left eye looked kind of weird or something, but maybe it was just the way the lighting was. But he that scene where there's such a like relief when he finally somebody finally shoots this motherfucker and yeah uh that's that was always that was my favorite scene of the movie as a kid when i would watch it over and over again was i'd watch that part probably a few times upon viewing each time just because i'd it was so suspenseful because like you really think he's finally gonna kill her and then he doesn't and yeah the way he sort of sits up behind her you know when Lori yes he took care of him and and yep. also that's gotta be a tough thing to do because he kind of just erects himself up you know most people have to put their hands down to kind of push them up or right. or whatever but yeah it's it's really well played uh in terms of uh, all that stuff uh nick castle i guess we should say plays the shape or or michael myers however you want to whatever yep. you want to call him and yeah i i don't know anything about nick castle but i assume he's a man of some fitness so he was able to <laughs> to do that he's obviously a big guy and he reprised the role in the 2018 and uh 2021 and 2022 reboots so wow. he was in halloween 2018 halloween kills and halloween ends he also co-wrote escape from new york with carpenter oh man i didn't know that that's cool yeah he directed a couple movies including the last starfighter dennis the menace and major pain wow <laughs> really yeah, I had no idea. Well, That's crazy. Crazy, right? Yeah, yeah. What were we talking about before that, though? Um, just when when he had gotten shot, when he gets shot. That's what I was. Yeah, I guess just before. the the finale in in general. Yeah, so I I I liked the. I mean, you you knew he wasn't dead, and you knew he was gonna right. come back, but but it's once again handled well. Carpenter shoots it great. Uh, Nick Castle plays it great. And Jamie Lee Curtis, we should talk about her. She's terrific in this movie. I yes, she is. Not uh, not quite remembering how how effective she was, and I feel like I've been watching Jamie Lee Curtis on screen pretty much my entire life. So you sometimes kind of take her for granted, or feel like she has a lot of the same moves, much like any actor who's been doing this for a long time. But um, I thought she was she was good in this. She still sounds like Jamie Lee Curtis. You can see when you watch her at that age, you can see all the stuff she's going to do and and be later on. It's it's there in her face and voice and yep. mannerisms and and all that. But for a, a 19 year old relative unknown at this point, I guess she was on a, a TV show and, and Carpenter said he'd never heard of her and because he didn't watch TV, so he didn't know who she was and wanted to want to cast somebody else. But um, she obviously does a great job and it pushed her career into a different place. But although she had to live it down as we talked about on our trading places episode, because she, she wanted that role and and people didn't want to hire her because she thought she was just some kind of scream queen. Right. And not a legitimate actress, but she's obviously proved herself. And as we discussed, she recently won an Oscar for what's called everything everywhere all at once. All at once. Yeah. Perfect way Which of I never, saying uh, that title. <laughs> <laughs> I never saw that movie, but uh, I've heard nothing but good things. Yeah, I watch it. It's good. It's it's worth yeah. it. Yeah, I think Curtis does 
does a great job with with the material given to her and it's not <clears throat> she's definitely the best of the three uh i think i heard pj souls actually auditioned for the role of of laurie oh yeah and, uh, yeah <laughs> but i mean of, of the of the three friends she's easily the most uh you know she you can just tell that she has the most acting chops and and in roles like that sometimes there's overacting as we've seen in in many of these movies sure. but she i thought she did a great job never really there's genuine terror on her face and it's genuine you know everything about her role she does really damn well yeah uh pj souls is good too i thought she was super cute and and whatever like i said she's annoying as hell with the uh the totally thing but i'm guessing that was a a scripting choice or you know on, right. on purpose and it's a little funny that we had the i don't know if you want to call that a valley girl aesthetic but th- that sort of thing already going on as early as 1978 yeah <laughs> anyway we talked a little bit about how uh bob clark suggested uh, that carpenter asked him for his own ideas for a sequel to his 1974 film black christmas uh, feature an unseen and motiveless killer murdering students at a university sorority house in the 2009 documentary Clark World, written and directed by Clark's former production designer Darren Abram after Clark's tragic death in 2007. Uh, Carpenter directly asked Clark about his thoughts on developing an anonymous slasher in Black Christmas. Carpenter, I guess, essentially just sort of copied the idea. He liked Black Christmas. Uh, Clark says... May have been influenced by it, but in no way did John Carpenter copy the idea. Fifteen other people at the time had thought to do a movie called Halloween, but the script came to John and had that title on it. And that's how it ultimately got made. So wow, okay. took ten days to write the screenplay. Um, you got these two producers. Now, this this is an interesting thing. So the movie's directed by John Carpenter. It's written by John Carpenter and Deborah Hill, produced by Deborah Hill. Deborah Hill was his John Carpenter's girlfriend at the time and uh, a frequent collaborator until they eventually had a falling out. I think there's some discussion about him treating her poorly or, or trying to blacklist her after they moved out or um, moved on from each other or whatever it is. After viewing Carpenter's film Assault on Precinct 13 in 1976 at the Milan Film Festival, inter- independent producer Erwin... Yablons and financier Mustaf Akkad sought out Carpenter to direct a film for them about a psychotic killer that stalked babysitters. So Akkad is still, because of how the rights on this movie work, he's still featured on the um, the new ones and, and everything else. So this guy is just rolling in bank thanks to just being a producer on this low-budget slasher. He still owns... <laughs> owns the rights to all of them and you will always see his name on <laughs> on every single Halloween movie. Yeah, it's a but very yeah, recognizable the, name. Yeah, it's back in the day of like Golan Globus and you know, all those guys you just have these foreign right. financiers but um Akkad agreed to put up three hundred thousand dollars, which I guess would be one point four million in uh twenty twenty two dollars. For the film's budget, which was considered low at the time, uh, Carpenter's previous film, Assault on Precinct 13, had an estimated budget of $100,000. Akkad worried over the tight four-week schedule, low budget, and Carpenter's limited experience as a filmmaker. Uh, 
but he told Fangoria, two things made me decide. One, Carpenter told me the story verbally and in a suspenseful way, almost frame for frame. Second, he told me he didn't want to take any fees and that he... And that showed he had confidence in the project. Carpenter received $10,000 for directing, writing, and composing the music, retaining the rights to 10% of the film's profits. Um, and we should say the music is just about as iconic as the film itself. And, Absolutely. Yeah, Carpenter does most, of his, does most of his own music. And and I guess the reason for that, as he typically cites, is just the fact that he's trying to keep budgets low and he can't get people like you know Hans Zimmer or whatever to do his music. So he just does it himself. But it sounds like he be happy to have somebody else do it but like most things with him he's just he's always trying to do it on the on the cheap and keep within his low budget parameters so uh, but i don't know he seems to like music more than directing these days he hasn't made a movie in i think his last movie is the ward and i don't know what year that was maybe like 2012 or something like that and there was a huge gap between that and the movie before that even i think it was like a 11 year gap so he clearly doesn't you know, miss movie making too much, or at least doesn't like dealing with the the whole bureaucracy of it and everything. But uh, he goes out on tour and plays his music and stuff. So he's clearly, clearly fine with the the music, even though he plays it off like just a a means to an end or something he has to do. But I think he's probably more into that than than his actual movie making. But uh, one other thing worth noting here, because of the low budget, wardrobe and props were often crafted from items on hand that could be purchased inexpensively. Carpenter hired Tommy Lee Wallace as production designer, art director, location scout, and co-editor. Uh, Tommy Lee Wallace, as we discussed, he directs the third Halloween, which is yeah. the one without Michael Myers that we reviewed. And uh, he had a couple other credits of stuff that we came across on, on this podcast, too. Um, so when it came time to create the mask they purchased a captain kirk mask for a dollar 98 from a costume shop on hollywood boulevard Coppner recalled how wallace widened the eye holes spray painted the flesh of bluish white in the script that said michael myers mask had the pale features of a human face and it truly was spooky looking i can only imagine the result if they hadn't painted the mask white children would be checking their closet for william shantner after tommy got through <laughs> Hill adds that the the idea was to make him almost humorless, faceless, this sort of pale visage that could resemble a human or not. Many of the actors wore their own clothes, and Curtis Warder was purchased at J.C. Penney's for around $100. Wow. Wallace described the filming process as uniquely collaborative with, a cast, with cast members often helping move equipment, cameras, and helping facilitate setups. And this is the same thing that you hear about when you talk to, or not when you talk to, but when you read about... Um, Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell and all those guys making Evil Dead and things like that. I mean, the the actors and and everybody involved are also producers and stagehands and all this other stuff because that's what it takes to yeah. make a movie when you've only got a hundred thousand dollars or whatever it is. So once again, it's another example of a movie where you have a director with a vision and you know game actors and it all sort of comes together and, and yeah, it adds to the it adds to the lore when you have something that's sort of grassroots like that and, and low budget, but still pulls off something that a major budget movie can't. And, and that's, you know, the, the suspense isn't always there in those kind of movies. And they, they pulled it off. And, and that, like I said, it adds to the, the lore of, of movies like that or evil dead when, when you can pull off the suspense on a cheaper budget. 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, it was filmed over 20 days over a four-week period, so that's not a long shoot. Carpenter worked with the cast to create the desired effect of terror and suspense. According to Curtis, Carpenter created a fear meter because the film was shot out of sequence and she was not sure what her character's level of terror should be in certain scenes. <laughs> so you'd say things like, here's a seven, here's an eight, and here's a nine and a half. Yeah, she had different facial expressions and scream volumes for each level on the meter. So that's interesting. Wow. Um, Carpenter's direction for Castle and his role as Myers was minimal. For example, when Castle asked what Myers' motive was for a particular scene, Carpenter replied that his motivation was to walk from one set marker to another and not act. <laughs> By Carpenter's account, the only direction he gave Castle was during the murder sequence of Bob, in which he told Castle to tilt his head and examine the corpse as if it were a butterfly collection. <laughs> so there goes. Oh, wow. Let's see. Uh, musical score, instead of utilizing more traditional symphonic soundtrack, the film score consists primarily of piano melody played, uh, and it just goes into all the details of the, the piano and stuff like that. But it took him three days to compose and record an entire score for the film. Following the film's critical and commercial success, the Halloween theme, quote-unquote, became recognizable apart from the film. One critic calls the score relatively simple and unsophisticated, but admits that Halloween's music is one of the strongest assets. Absolutely. Carpenter stated in an interview, I can play just about any keyboard, but I can't read or write a note. So he's one of those guys who you sit here going like, oh, man, how does how does the edge play that guitar solo? And then he says shit like, I don't even read music. So, right. Getting whatever. <laughs> right. <laughs> Halloween premiered on October 24th, 1978 in downtown Kansas City, Missouri at the AMC Empire Theater. Regional distribution in the Philadelphia and New York City metropolitan areas was acquired by Aquarius Releasing. It grossed a million point two seven from 198 theaters across the U.S., including 72 in New York City and 98 in Southern California in its opening week. The film grossed 47 million in the United States and an additional 23 million internationally, making the theatrical total 70 million, making it one of the most successful independent films of all time. Wow. On uh, September 7th of 2012, the official Halloween movies Facebook page announced that the original Halloween would be released starting October 25th, 2013, a celebration of the film's 30th anniversary. Obviously, it made some more money there. Television rights. In 1980, the television rights to Halloween were sold to NBC for approximately $3 million. After a debate among Carpenter Hill and NBC's standards and practices over censoring of certain scenes, Halloween appeared on television for the first time in October 1981. To fill the two-hour time slot, Carpenter filmed 12 minutes of additional material during the production of Halloween 2. The newly oh. filmed scenes included Dr. Loomis at a hospital, board of review of Michael Myers, and Dr. Loomis talking to a then six-year-old Michael at Smith's Grove, telling him, you fooled them, haven't you, Michael, but not me. Another extra scene featuring Dr. Loomis at Smith's Grove examining Michael's abandoned cell after his escape and seeing the word sister scratched into the door. Finally, a scene was added in which Linda comes over to Lori's house to borrow a silk blouse before Lori leaves to babysit. Just as Annie telephones asking to borrow the same blouse, the new scene had Lori's hair hidden by a towel since Curtis was by then wearing a much shorter hairstyle she hadn't worn in 1978. Wow. In 2006, Fangoria reported that Synapse Films had discovered boxes of negatives containing footage cut from the film, 
One was labeled 1981, suggested that it was additional footage for the television version of the film. Snap's owner, Don Mayer Jr., said, what we've got is pretty much all the unused original camera negative from Carpenter's original Halloween. Luckily, uh, Billy Kirkus was able to find this material before it was destroyed. The story on how we got the negative is a long one, but we'll save it for when we're able to showcase the materials in some way. Kirkus should be commended for pretty much saving the holy grail of horror films. He later claimed... We just learned from Sean Clark, longtime Halloween genius, that the footage found is just that, footage. There is no sound in any of the reels so far, since none of it was used in the final edit. Critical response. Upon its initial release, Halloween performed well uh, with little advertising, relying mostly on word of mouth, but many critics seemed uninterested or dismissive of the film. Blaine Kale wrote a scathing review in The New Yorker, suggesting that Carpenter doesn't seem to have had any life outside the movies one can trace almost every idea on the screen to directors such as hitchcock and brian de palma and to val luton productions amusing that maybe when a horror film is stripped of everything but dumb scariness when it isn't ashamed to revive the stalest device of the genre the escape lunatic it satisfies part of the audience in a more basic childish way than sophisticated horror pictures do so I guess that kind of gets into some of what we were talking about where I like more cerebral horror and I kind of find these slashers fun, but mostly uh, forgettable. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't feel the way she feels, but I do sympathize with that review to some degree. Like if a movie were to come out now about a stalking killer, we'd all go like, oh, uh, again, another one? Again, like what, right. what, <laughs> what the fuck? But, you know, there's good ones and bad ones, and Halloween's a good one, and there's obviously lots of bad ones. I don't know why she couldn't see that much, but I wonder what she'd say about it now. Yeah, exactly. Know, or or even, even 10 years later, or even two years later or something. Los Angeles Times deemed the film a well-made but empty, morbid thriller. Uh, well, the Miami Times felt it was surprisingly good, noting, taken on its own level, Halloween is a terrifying movie. If you are the right age and the right mood. Um, Gene Siskel, the Chicago Tribune, gave the film three and a half stars out of four, called it a beautifully made thriller that works because director Carpenter knows how to shock while making us smile. He repeatedly sets up anticipation of a shock and delays the shock for varying lengths of time. Yeah, that's kind of what I was talking about. That's what you said, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The tension is considerable. More than once during the movie, I looked around just to make sure that no one weird was sitting behind me. (laughs) (laughs) Roger Ebert gave the film similar praise in his 1979 review in the Chicago Sun-Times, referring to it as a visceral experience. We aren't seeing the movie. We're having it happen to us. It's frightening. Maybe you don't like movies that are really scary. Then don't see this one. Ebert also selected it as one of his top 10 films of 1978. Once dismissive critics became impressed by Carpenter's choice of camera angles and simple music and surprised by the lack of blood and graphic violence. So, And then obviously there, it talks about kind of reappraisal retrospectives home media uh all that kind of stuff so it, it obviously went on to have a long and storied uh, history and people for the most part love it nowadays it's considered widely influential within the horror genre largely responsible for the popularization of slasher movies in the 80s helped develop the slasher genre uh popularized many tropes that have become completely synonymous with the slasher genre uh the final girl uh, the whole sexually promiscuous thing, drugs. Uh, Carpenter also shot many scenes from the perspective of the killer in order to build tension, like we were talking about. These elements have become so established that many historians argue that Halloween is responsible for the new wave of horror that emerged during the 80s. 
due to its popularity, Halloween became a blue, Halloween became a blueprint for such successes that many other horror films, such as Friday the Thirteenth, Nightmare on Elm Street, and Scream. Uh, yeah, yeah, I yeah. agree with all that. It's it's probably the OG of a lot of things horror wise. Do you? I know when we did the Halloween three. We discussed some of the reboots or the reboots upon reboots. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> I don't, I didn't like Halloween Kills. I didn't see the other one. What's it called? Halloween Dies or something. Ends. 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 There we go. <laughs> um, I yeah. did see both of the Rob Zombie ones. I thought the first one was actually kind of good. Uh, the second mm-hmm. one was stupid. I don't know what your thoughts on, on those were. Or I can't remember um, what you said. Yeah, I think we talked about it a little bit when we were talking three. I like, yeah, the first Rob Zombie one. Um, I mean, I agree. It's a more over the top and in your face and in some ways maybe a little more lazy of a horror movie because it kind of, you know, again, it, it's going out of its way to be shocking and and violent. And, you know, it's got Rob Zombie's trademark kind of grindhouse uh, homage type version of things like he likes to do uh, it's it's a lot more explicit in its language and sex and violence and all that but i did find it i don't know if enjoyable is the right word but captivating to whatever degree i thought it was it was a well-made more grisly slasher movie i guess uh the sequel i did not like i only saw it once some it does have sort of a cult there there is a base of people out there who will argue it's underrated and it's it's beautifully made and there's a lot of existential subliminal you know this and that going on with it it's it's an artful film but yeah i found it mostly boring repulsive like when it wasn't boring it was it was just gross and you know annoying or dumb or whatever and and for the most part, just kind of long and meandering. So, yeah, I didn't like that one. I should maybe watch it again. Of this new trilogy, I thought 2018 was disappointing. I I see what they were going for, and I can see why some people like it, but I thought it was mostly just middle-of-the-road, predictable stuff. I hated Kills, as we talked about. I think it just revels in sadistic violence for the sake of it. It's it's not entertaining. It's not fun. There's some cool shots. There's some. I like the way it's kind of a combination of... Um, like a, a reboot almost of the original Halloween too. They they try to use some of the same aesthetic and, and whatnot of, of a flashback and, and making it look like the same people who were in the original Halloween too. I guess that's cool, but the movie overall was just really a bummer. And then Halloween ends, I think might be the best of the three. It's, it's not perfect either. And it, it jettisons Michael Myers for pretty much half the movie before he finally comes out of nowhere and kind of a weird, you know, reveal of, of where he's been and what he's been doing. And it, it's mostly focusing on this, this other kid who is kind of being taunted and becomes a killer. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, it's a far more interesting movie. It's, it's less just stupidly violent than kills. It's less of a rehash than the first one. So I appreciate that. I tried to do something good. So if you just watch it like on its own and you're as a horror movie, I think it, it works as a, a pretty entertaining and solid okay. horror movie and it it doesn't have some of the baggage of the, the other two except for the fact that you know jamie lee curtis is prominent in it and you're just kind of like how many fucking times does she have to 
go back to this. Like it, it, it has no resonance of, of emotion or like, or like, Oh, finally the Lori Strode character is got what she deserves or, or put to rest or, or whatever, whatever you're hoping for, for her. There's no catharsis there. She might as well not even be in it. It, it mostly feels like an insult and they've just run it into the ground way too many times. So <laughs> right. it doesn't, it doesn't work on that level, but just a standalone scary movie. I think Halloween ends is, is pretty okay. And, and probably the best one of the, those three of the so. newest one. Yeah. I'll, I'll probably yeah. watch it at some point during this season. Yeah. And I can't keep it's, it's free on where the hell did I watch it? It might even be on like Tubi or something. Okay. Um, Hulu. It's on, it's on something have. I have. Peacock. Yeah, peacock? I, I don't, I don't have Peacock, so it wasn't on that. Okay. Um, but yeah, I saw somebody say like it might be Prime. Maybe it's on Prime. I don't know. But, but anyway, yeah, uh, it's it's worth checking out. And I can't keep anything after Halloween three straight, four, five, six, H two O, all those. I mean, I I know they're they're wildly different, especially when you get into the late nineties ones. But I watched them all once five six years ago. Like I said, I kind of binged them when they were bringing out the new ones. Uh, they they did nothing for me. I don't remember them, and I don't remember which one is which. I, I they all have their fans. There's people who tell you four and five are great. There's people who tell you H two O is good. Um, you know, kind of in that scream late '90s vein of when they were kind of trying to be subversive and and slightly satirical and and whatnot. So the uh, Kevin Williamson was yeah, not the exactly. name of the yeah 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 exactly. So. Uh, but I don't know. It's been a while since I've seen him, and I it really didn't make enough impression to to remember it. So, uh, so this yeah. one, what do the the OG Halloween? What do you give it for a star rating? Uh, it ends is on Prime, by the way. Okay, so that's the only place it's free. Um, I, as a horror movie, as an influential granddaddy of them all, I give it four stars as something you know in terms of. What, where would I rank it? How often would I watch it? That sort of thing. I'll go three and a half. I don't think it was, I, I, I wouldn't say it's my favorite horror movie the way you sure. do or anything like that, but um, I, I definitely, I find it entertaining. I appreciate the artistic merit of the whole thing, whether it be Carpenter or Pleasance and Curtis. Uh, I like the way Carpenter plays with all these expectations and you don't really know exactly what's going to happen. I don't know how well that would hold up if it was a movie I watched every year or whatever. I don't know if it's got the rewatchability of a Friday the 13th. Cause like I said, those movies are just kind of, they're silly and funny and there's shit happening all the time, whether it's, it's boobs or some gory kill or something. So that sort of lends itself to being able to kind of watch it repeatedly and have fun sure. with it. But, um, but yeah, it's definitely a much better movie than any of those, uh, as we'll get into in a minute here. So, um, right. yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely a three and a half star okay. film. So, <clears throat> yeah, you know, you know my rating for, yeah, it's the four stars across the board four. for me. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I'm probably being silly and docking at the half star. I'm just trying to be honest about the fact that I don't, sure. I don't know that it would stand up in my top five or, or maybe yeah. ten horror movies but it's it's definitely a great one and uh, it's a well-made film and i certainly give it props for all the stuff it's it's achieved and inspired and, and everything like that so sure what 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 the fuck four stars there <laughs> <laughs> so if halloween invented the slasher genre what do we consider friday the 13th <laughs> oh good question uh 
I would get. Because I would it's, say it's always kind of used as shorthand for that. You know, the the final girl and the boobs and all all that stuff that we think of when we think of not just Friday the Thirteenth but slasher films of the eighties. Uh, so I don't I don't know if Friday the Thirteenth just up the ante in terms of that stuff. It kind of right. took the Halloween mold and and ran it through more of a explicit filter and <laughs> and that's what sets it apart or why it became so popular. But I, I, I it's agree a little with curious that, that yeah. Friday the Thirteenth for whatever reason because there there are a bunch of these. The Friday the Thirteenth isn't alone uh, certainly in kind of upping the Halloween ante, but for whatever reason that one I don't know if it came because it came first before some of those or or what it was, but it it definitely was the breakout and I don't get why that, but right. <laughs> you know, it, it, you could say that Friday the 13th was, was influential in its own sense uh, because Halloween oh, didn't, like you said, have the, it didn't have the blood. It didn't have the, yep. it was still scary and still violent, but it didn't have the gore f- effect. Uh, and this, this definitely does. And it's not, a, it's obviously not the first movie to ever do that, but it's, in terms of slasher movies that yeah it like you said it upped the ante and it it kind of ran with with that so you could you know you could you could say this movie is is uh, another influence on what we saw throughout the 80s for sure yeah but i mean it itself is not necessary i've i've mentioned this before when we were talking about probably in Friday the 13th 3 or just in some other horror movie context or conversation but it itself is largely overstated in terms of how much blood and sex and and all that's really in here it's a lot of this stuff is more implied or or you're shown a a bit of it and then it somehow sits in your head that these are just filled with that stuff but for the most part it's it's a fairly tame affair too some of the movies subsequent to this get a little more carry away and crazy, but then just about the time where it's, it seems like it's really ready to ramp that stuff up. It kind of gets kneecapped by the MPAA and, and they start not allowing as much violence or, or sex or whatever, particularly violence. So in, in some of the later ones, you see a lot of crap where a machete will come slicing across the screen and then a, a body drops or whatever, but it's, it's fairly bloodless or, you know, an, an arm or something falls off, but it's not, you know, it's just, it's, it's played more for laughs and, and stuff like that. So I think these movies were kind of kneecapped in their, their legend or whatever is sort of outpaced with what they're really like. And like I said, now I think people watch them just because they're kind of fun, silly slashers and there's, you know, a ton of them and you can yeah. binge it and you can have a night out of it. And it's, it's fun and scary if you're younger and, and there's a nostalgia component for people who are now older, but they're really not particularly effective, scary movies. This first one we're talking about, I think, has the tone right, but doesn't do a lot of the stuff that the movies are famous for. And then I think as they go on, there's a little more of the sex and violence and stuff, but the tone gets lost. And so there's not really a good one in the series where it's just like, yeah, it's scary and delivers on the goods that you'd expect from the franchise that you've always sort of heard about. Um, I don't know. You said you'd never saw this one. What did you think? Did you think it was effective? Did you think it was, you were sitting there going, where's all the shit I always heard about? Like, what's the, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it's funny you say that. Cause I, I'm, I'm still slightly confused and I'll, I'll get to that point in a second, but uh, as a whole, I found this movie enjoyable. It, 
Um, it kept my interest. It, yeah, there was there was times where it, it seemed like they were just filling. I mean, I think oh, yeah. I can't remember. I think it's an hour and a half movie or something. But it it felt like there were times they weren't there weren't even suspenseful moments. It was almost just moments of like let's do yeah. it. <laughs> we're, there's we're like there's whatever. like a 25 minute section in the middle that it just drags and yeah. drags and drags and yeah. It, now the here's the part where I'm confused about, and I'll just I'll just come right out and say it. Uh, was the so the mother was doing the killing the entire entire time? Mm-hmm. Okay, yep. and Jason died in a drowning apparently. Right. So yep. wh- how does that lead to Jason right. Voorhees going from two from Friday the Thirteenth Part Two on up to? Whenever it well, stopped. Yeah. I mean, we're getting ahead of the end of the film. I, I guess, you know, this idea that he was still alive, mm-hmm. uh, which, which if this movie had not spawned a bunch of sequels and been a huge hit, uh, it may have just been left as that girl's dream. But I think what they did is they ran with that when the movie became a huge hit and they decided, okay, Jason's actually alive and then made him the killer moving forward, which yes, I don't know if he's been living under Blake for (laughs) full time or if the mom actually pulled him out of there and then he was just like a, you know, sort of fucked up degenerate and who knows. But uh, yeah, I don't think there's a great answer to that question. Uh, It's just sort of for interpretation because then when Friday the 13th, part two picks up she's clearly dead jason is alive and, and he's the one doing the the killing so uh yeah i would that's one of those things i'd like to dive into i didn't do it for this movie but i suppose if we ever do friday the 13th too uh we can look it up or maybe we'll sitting here talking i'll yeah. see if there's a quick quick <laughs> wikipedia explanation but yeah it, it that is one of the harder things to swallow about the franchise and I guess it doesn't matter. These guys are all just boogeymen and, and half zombies. Even Michael Myers. Michael Myers and Jason are fairly similar in terms of as the movies go on, they're just these unstoppable killing machines and they've been shot and stabbed and killed over many times and <laughs> yeah. they just keep coming back. So they're they're clearly just essentially zombies even even though they don't ever actually call them that right they're yeah they're they're unkillable so i guess right. they're there's zombies and in, in, in jason's case yes if he supposedly died in the 50s or whatever and he's still around <laughs> stalking people now i mean it's... yeah i was so that okay i was a little confused at that because i didn't know like was he doing some of the killing and she was doing some of the killing or was he has he been yeah. dead and then came back to life or is that a dream that she had it was just her and then i i think like i said with subsequent sequels they they said well we got this jason iconography that we just can't let go so sure like i said i, I don't know if there's a more sensical explanation for how they maybe i'll i'll try to dig into it while we're going along here but anyway like halloween uh it has a great setup opening sequence and there's another iconic score i guess i put score in quotes it's really just that yeah you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah yeah and it's got the use of that point of view the the killer you know the camera is the the killer stalking his first victims and uh the victims are all teens having sex especially the, the the first one there so this one takes place at a campground and not the suburbs but that's really the only difference between the two uh, at least in terms of the opening sequence there it's got it, it owes a 
big debt to Halloween, I assume. Although, as was noted in in some of the negative reviews for Halloween, a lot of that stuff isn't necessarily new to to Halloween. So, right. But I think Halloween becoming a huge hit, obviously, whether or not uh, it it did some some copycatting of its own, uh, Friday the Thirteenth is certainly piggybacking off the fact that Halloween was a huge hit and the type of character that Myers was, and I'm sure the it's an obvious debt of that Friday the Thirteenth owes to to Halloween, um, especially right down to the fact that the opening sequences are pretty much the same thing. So. <laughs> right. Yeah, the other thing that we'll get into that separates them is where Halloween felt inspired for its time, and Carpenter took such care in making the film and the shot compositions on it. Friday the 13th is more of a exploitation flick exercise. It has a little more polish than most of the Grindhouse stuff of the 70s, say something like Last House on the Left or whatever, or, or uh, Spit on Your Grave and that sort of thing. But um, it has the same filmmaking limitations. It's just with the benefit of a decade of film technique and quality advancements but it still looks kind of you know low budget and and crappy and and like it was just made on a on a shoestring budget so it it still retains some of the same stuff of those movies also like halloween uh the pre-opening credits murders are a flashback and then we jump to present day Uh, you got this wide-eyed hitchhiker heading to camp crystal lake as a counselor and some old guy yells at her it's got a death curse and you know and she <laughs> she goes on anyway and she's <laughs> and then you got uh kevin bacon in this uh movie he's driving in a in a car with a bunch of his young camp counselor co-ed friends the banjo score in this scene is obnoxious i noted i don't know if you remember that I didn't i didn't notice that <laughs> that's funny but I, I do remember when I was a kid, just walking through the video store, I would just grab these boxes and stare at them. And, I, you know, the, the front poster was always scary. Then you flip it over and there'd just be like two or three little squares of scenes. And there was always something super ominous. And sometimes it wasn't even anything gross. It was just like a, a character, just just a character and like the look on their face. And, you know, they're looking at something scary or someone scary, but it's not... The, the picture itself isn't scary, but I, I remember right. just like staring at each of those boxes over and over again going, Ooh, I'm going to watch this someday. And I wonder how <laughs> scary that scene is going to be. So it, it, they definitely, they've got a, a certain something that kind of draws you in, even when you're a kid who's too scared to actually watch them. So how weird uh, is it that seven was the movie I chose to see for the first, the first Friday the 13th I ever saw was seven. I, and I know the reason I rented that one, was because there somebody had a has a gun on one of those pictures in the on the back of the box. Is like, oh, oh there's, yeah. there's a gun in this one. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the rationale for twelve year old Peter. But uh, it's still funny. Like, why wouldn't I just start with one? With the first <laughs> one, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that one probably it came out a little more recently. Was that like ninety or I'm sorry, eighty eight or eighty eight or so? Yeah. 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 And then so, Manhattan was 89 or 90. Yeah. 89. Yeah. So yeah. that could potentially be why, but yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know exactly where I started. I remember Nick and I would watch them or at least did watch them all once or, or most of them. And then, uh, like I said, every decade, I just get this bug to check them out. I bought the, the DVD set and then I eventually bought the Blu-ray set. And I don't, like I said, I don't even know why I don't love the movies, but there's something about them that just keeps me, coming back and wanting to revisit them or see if oh maybe maybe this time this will finally be where i you know like this one and and frankly the ones i like are the ones that most people don't a lot of people like like 
number six and, and some of the earlier ones and, and whatnot. I, and they hate five, which this will be nothing to you if you've never seen it, but I really like five. They don't like Jason X, which is the one where he goes to space. And I'm like, this movie is off the chain, ridiculous and bonkers and fun. Um, I love the reboot from 2009. Like I said, I think it's a good greatest hits package of all the best stuff of these movies. So I guess if you're, not somebody who has a huge affection for this and didn't grow up on them, you know, loving them or something like that. I think it's easier to like some of the sillier ones where they just run with the shit that become iconic and, and funny about Jason and, and the whole franchise. And, but yeah, I like, I like four, I like five, I like X, I like the reboot. Uh, Freddy versus Jason is okay. Uh, I was just going to ask about fun. Freddy versus Jason if you saw that and if it was any good. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's full of a lot of, dumb early 2000s trends and and shit from the the style and the music to the characters they have in there and stuff like that but i think it's it's ultimately a a fun movie if you if you know those two characters it's it's a worthy matchup and it's stylishly directed by uh i think that's a ronnie Yu film who also did bride of chucky which is also one of my favorite child's play movies so it's a great movie yeah do the both the sort of action and the the satire stuff pretty well so i i enjoy them on a on a comedic level but i understand why people who are like jason purists or whatever they're like i love these movies i don't want to see them be a a joke or or go over the top and i agree by the time you get to space with anything you've obviously (laughs) lost the thread but that that doesn't mean that movie isn't fucking wildly entertaining so i don't know i'd watch that over some of these earlier ones certainly seven and eight and uh, what's the one after that? Jason goes to hell. That's supposedly the final oh, yeah. Friday, but of course he comes back. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, X and the reboot and Freddy versus Jason and all those more recent ones, I think, are are better than a lot of the OG ones. But that's just me. I, I just have more fun with them, I guess. It's nothing nothing personal. But but I think some of these early ones are just a little too interchangeable. But. Sure. Anyway, how do we get up off on that? What was the original <laughs> uh, <laughs> i don't quite even recall i well no i i brought up that i why i was confused is why i chose seven for the first one oh, I see. to watch yeah. yeah i don't i don't remember much about that other than that was like maybe the worst one in terms of yeah. feeling dated from hairstyles and um sure. clothes and all. like like these kids in the earlier ones like obviously you got some of that stuff where people have like big hair or mustaches and their clothes mm-hmm. are kind of tight fitting and everything. But um, man, seven is, is really bogged down in the like poodle haircuts and <laughs> weird <laughs> yeah. shirts and dresses and stuff. It's, it's the worst of eighties fashion for sure. Right there. But I don't remember a but, thing about it. I, I do remember more of eight than, well, actually I only remember him walking by the, the gang in 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 new york yeah. or whatever. <laughs> kicks the boom box and kicks the boom box yeah. and then yeah. punches that boxer guy and knocks his head off those are the two things that everybody remembers from, from right. that movie <laughs> both the only good parts yeah. yeah seven was the one where he uh goes up against this girl with some sort of telekinesis or something and uh, oh okay linda i want to say maybe but or tina tina something like that but she was supposed to be it's supposed to be like Jason versus her, and uh, yeah, it, it wasn't really all that. It's got some some moments, but so there's that scene where they want to play strip monopoly. I thought was kind of funny, uh, <laughs> yeah. 
And then she's like, why don't you see if Marcy left some of that grass? <laughs> uh, we touched on this in some other episode, uh, maybe Poltergeist, because uh, I remember where Craig T. Nice, Craig T. Nelson and um, uh, Joe what's Beth. Her name? the one we love, Joe Beth Williams. Yeah, yeah, they were smoking pot, and and I I was like, it's people used to just casually smoke pot despite it being illegal, like you know, parents in their bedrooms or teens in these movies sneak it as casually as sneaking a beer or something, and they're cool with getting naked around platonic friends and skinny dipping and playing strip games. And I don't know, man, is it, is that all bullshit or is that just a different time? Like I, I, the the pot thing is really weird to me because again, it's, it's an illegal thing. And it was just one of these weird things where people would just, they'd be like, Oh, the cops are coming. Like, you know, blow it out the window or whatever was, is, I mean, again, like as if people were going to maybe be caught drinking or something like that. I just, I can't, quite picture a time where an illegal drug was uh considered something you'd want to risk and and i know there's people who do it don't get me wrong even even in our day and, and when we were in high school and stuff like that yeah. but i think it, i i think there was a lot more of a stigma around it. i don't think anybody treated it like you know i i i'm sure there's parents who were in their bedrooms like doing it and stuff like that but it i i gotta believe there was much more of a we gotta be worried about this type thing or, yeah this isn't this isn't the norm or not everybody's and, and if it was the norm and everybody was doing it and, and just keeping it on the lowdown or sharing it with mm-hmm. friends and stuff like that, it's super weird that 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 was able to happen. Whereas stuff like beer and whatever I would see, you know, my uncle would be like, oh, I'm going to drink this beer while I'm driving. Don't tell anybody <laughs> or, or whatever. And it's just like, yeah, <laughs> yeah just a, that's a weird thing. And the, the fact that like a bunch of, just quote friends are fine with just like being naked around each other all the time and and co-ed and and whatever i don't, again i don't know how how realistic that is or if that's just that that was something that people used to do decades ago <laughs> I, don't, right. I don't know but... <laughs> yeah whenever you see stuff like uh even dazed and confused or any of these movies where it was weed and sex was their their life in the 70s you would think like yeah. everybody had a van and everybody would just be driving around like there's almost like this you have to wonder is was it really like that or was it i mean is that kind of what yeah. you're getting at like was it that's that's exactly my question like yeah. uh, the this idea that people would do it sort of nonchalantly and and would be just as worried about getting busted for that as they would be like underage drinking or something even though it's a right. illegal drug you know and and just the idea that i mean cops yeah i mean it started obviously in the 60s and there's hippies and counterculture and and all that stuff and i think the 70s is a bit of a overflow of that but it doesn't make the the penalty any any less and i mean nowadays you know weed's legal and people still aren't prone to and again i I'm, i know i'm generalizing and there's the exceptions to the rule but generally speaking people aren't driving around just fucking high and lit up and stuff like that and i right i know people who do it i've seen people do it again same thing as drunk driving but that's the thing you try not to uh <laughs> do dem- like uh, advertise is the word yes I'm for, yeah you know? <laughs> and in these movies it just makes it seem like people are just fucking high all the time and just randomly lighting off joints and then driving around and doing whatever they want to do and yeah, even in know, Halloween they do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's what I'm saying. So that like, was there just a a time where that was much more of a normal thing? Even though it's a 
illegal thing like like drinking and driving is bad enough but that's but beer is legal so you're right. only gonna get busted for the the owi if you got caught smoking weed then that's a you know felony drug charge or whatever the <laughs> fuck it was <laughs> right so, whatever it was in the 70s right yeah or 80s yeah so. so that's just not a i don't know it, it just they they play it off so casually and it's in so many movies like this so i have to believe there is there was some of that going on but the the implication seems to be like oh there go those those teens again smoking their wacky tobacco <laughs> as if it's like kind of a like yeah. a nothing thing and I, I don't know if that was ever the attitude to it and and we yeah. grew up in the 90s and people were doing this stuff at our school and stuff like that but i, I don't think there was this uh brazen like oh let's just get in the car and we'll <laughs> smoke yeah. and hope we don't get caught you know i like again some people did it but i don't think that was the the general attitude towards it i think people were afraid of getting caught and stuff like that but. oh yeah for sure <laughs> <sighs> I don't know. Okay, why do we get on that? Because <laughs> uh, they're, they're oh, they're gonna play where... strip monopoly. Yeah, yeah, and and she's like, did so and so leave any grass? And then uh, I just now did was a funny line. the so there was kind of a, there was kind of a camaraderie, uh, at least of some extent, with, with all the kids in this movie. That I'm wondering. Do the other like do the other sequels have this much of a or is it kind of more or are these just these are just... yeah it's people who all sort of know each other and sure. it gets a little far fetched when they start getting into people in like mental institutions and so like once you leave the campgrounds and yeah that sort of thing it gets a little over the top but yeah it's usually a group of kids they all know each other there's usually one or two people don't like there might be somebody who's younger like tagging along or uh, whatever but it's it's always a a close-knit group of a half okay. dozen or eight or ten or whatever yeah. it is people who just kind of get picked off one by one so yeah <laughs> it's you're definitely seeing the template you know but uh there's some brief boobs before bacon uh and gets gets what's coming to him as we'll talk about in a second here but that's the only actual nudity in this movie which is weird again you know given its rep and like i said the series overall has this reputation for being all about blood and, and guts and nudity and, and nudity, right? Like I said, yeah, it's largely overstated. In most of these, some have more than others, uh, and the later ones are a different animal, banking banking more on that reputation and than the original eight actually do. But overall, uh, and this one in particular, it's it's really not what it's cracked up to be in terms of nudity or violence, which which is fine. I, I can they can still be a fun, scary movie, but I'm just saying was wondering with you having probably heard about the movies and their legend and whatnot more so than actually seeing them if you were like what's the what's the fuss all about or <laughs> yeah kind or, of you know. yeah just plus the the general confusion and as to who was doing the murders um even yeah. even during the movie you start questioning well is it i even was thinking if it was that guy but i i mean obviously you know in a 2023 perspective that it's obviously Jason, well, becomes Jason Voorhees as the killer. But yeah. I was, even the, the guy who had the Jeep, you, you, you see a scene with, with the hit where like you were talking about with the hitchhiker where, and I'm like, well, yeah. is it that guy? Or is it this crazy Ralph guy from town who says places a death curse, but it's obviously right. not him. He's just a weirdo who hangs out in pantries. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I I don't know how he just hung out in there for so long without anybody seeing him or finding him, but right. Well, you know, that's the the typical. There's always somebody kind of trying to warn people, uh, right? And yeah, a lot of times it's somebody who we dismiss as being crazy or whatever. But yeah, how how he got all the way out there and stashing stuff. In the I, well, I guess he's hiding from the cops, right? The cops are looking for. Oh him, yeah, so that's we... right. That's right. But yeah, that's a that's a trope too. You always got some guy going like, "Don't don't go in there. Don't do that." Or uh, yeah, uh-huh. like the guy trying to warn everybody and yeah, don't go down that road. A lot of a lot of trouble down that road. <laughs> that's my my best <laughs> pet cemetery impersonation via South Park's impersonation of that <laughs> impersonation. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so what we're talking about. Okay, so there's that scene where where Bacon and his girlfriend it's raining out, so they get caught. This is the kind of meandering part of the movie I was referring yeah. to. Like, there's, there's a 20 minute stretch where not a whole lot really happens, but uh, Bacon's death is is memorable. It's pretty kick ass. Yeah, yeah, he's laying there in bed, poised, poised, uh, post coital, and <laughs> then uh, all of a sudden an arrow just kind of slowly pops up through his neck. That's that's a pretty pretty cool scene i mean i've seen it before and also it's kind of one of the more iconic scenes of the franchise so it gets shared around a lot but yeah if you're not ready for it or don't know what's coming that's that's pretty cool so. yeah it, uh, that was that was probably the best jump scare of the movie was that because he feels that drop of blood on his head because there's another corpse right above him on a bunk bed <laughs> that he doesn't realize mm-hmm. and you're starting to wonder oh he's gonna go investigate and before he could even investigate this hand comes out and grabs him by the head and like whoa i did not see that coming yeah the movie's pretty good in uh unsuspecting stuff uh kind of like halloween in that way but yeah well bacon's death is memorable and and there's an axe to the head shot too that's oh yeah that was yeah that was so this is another way when you compare this to halloween you know halloween doesn't really have a lot of this yeah a couple people get stabbed and stuff but it's not really uh kind of in your face no pun intended but here there's a whole person with an axe stuck in their head or an arrow (laughs) sticking through their throat and stuff and it's not particularly gross especially in by 2023 standards but you can you can see where the movie's sort of pushing in that direction and pushing the envelope farther than say halloween or something there's a five minute scene in this movie where uh, the final girl if you will makes coffee and I'm like, what? Uh-huh. <laughs> what the fuck? What the Movies fuck? Movies were different we... back then, man. We yeah. were all just rushing to the end. We were... <laughs> no, I mean, it did build tension because the way she kept walking back and forth. So, I, all right, never, I'm going to retract my statement. Pretend I didn't say any of that. Because actually, that did no, make me no. a little nervous. Because every time she yeah. did come back into that's the... the same, that's the same as that Halloween Same as Halloween, stuff, yes. Yeah. Carpenter's like, uh, why do we take this phone off the hook? Doesn't matter. Why do we get this girl out of her clothes? Doesn't matter. Why'd yeah. she go in the laundry room, get locked in there, and nothing happened? Yeah, it's just because that's probably what would happen until right. the time where it doesn't happen. <laughs> Yeah, because then, because then he lulls you into thinking, well, nothing's gonna happen in this car. Of course, we think he's gonna be the back seat. Well, uh, you've fooled me already three times, fucking carpenter. Yeah. And then that's where he <laughs> pops up and strangles her. So yeah, I mean, they're they're both effective, but for different reasons. It's this is a much stupider and more annoying movie than Halloween, but right. more explicit. 
but less craftsmanship and less vision and all that. But but you could argue it's it's like I said, the more fun movie. I don't know. I at a certain point, if somebody's like, "Here's a bunch of movies. This these three are real like you just kind of sit here and let the vibe wash over you type movies, and then here's three where there's a bunch of crazy kills and a bunch of tits. So you're gonna be like, "Well, let's." watch at least two of those three <laughs> yeah. so i guess my point is like you know halloween all due respect much better made movie like i said not nearly as uh simple and silly as sure as this one um but yeah I'm, yeah you, you know, know what you're getting you know what you're getting with that's the Jason only one you movie. need right yeah you know well, what you're getting yeah with or, these movies. or i mean do you until number four or so because like i said they're they really don't well the next one's pretty good in terms of uh kind of upping the ante shall we say yeah. and then it dips again in three which we watched then it goes back up and it's just that kind of series but if i hadn't watched anyway. halloween um because i still needed to watch it but friday the 13th part two came up as you know suggested yeah. movie i'm like damn i really kind of want to watch this but yeah well that's see that's the thing even though when you, when you watch them you're like ah, oh, it's not that good or whatever but right. you're kind of like eh, let's just see what the next one is. <laughs> yeah what do they do with this, yeah what do they do with yeah. this character that's i'm intrigued for sure yeah it's easy to fall into that but by the time you get through maybe six of them or so it starts to <laughs> yeah wane a little bit well yeah so this movie's kind of slow and basic and and very going through the motions e and you know if it felt different back in 1980 uh i don't know what do you think you think audiences just hadn't seen enough of this yet or or maybe like one or two scenes of boobs was considered crazy or you know i don't know it's the same same question we had with uh why porky's struck such a chord because that movie's rep is also blown way out of proportion in terms of its crazy <laughs> sex factor and all yeah that. That movie's just dumb. <laughs> All right, but I mean, but you, most people are like, I don't care if it's dumb, like, right? Oh, no, they, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it, it's not even good in that way. No, it's yeah, exactly. It's poorly executed in every sense of the word. This, uh, this, there had to have been uh, already uh, a niche uh, that people that they're trying to appeal to. They're trying to appeal to the probably the teenage crowd. And yeah, but I'm not sure how like typical or tired it was at that point. I mean, like we, we already referenced that people are saying in their uh, Halloween reviews, like, okay, Carpenter's is doing the same shit we've seen a million times. So I, I guess, but yeah. in terms of mainstream movies, if, if the, the line is Halloween invented some of this shit and then Friday the 13th was the direct, descendant or whatever of that then i mean it, it couldn't be too tried and true for viewers at this point that i guess it must have even though a, a film critic or, or somebody in the know could argue well these tropes go back to the you know 50s or 40s or whatever i think i think halloween was probably like a new thing for what it was even if some of the scares and stuff were recycled and then i think friday the 13th was the next big one of that same vein so you really this is like the second movie for a generation that did this and yeah. so at that point i think it was considered probably fresh and whatever even though we look at it now and we're just like i mean god there's so many of these they all do the same thing and not just of these in the series but like these types of so movies, many movies right yeah right right so it's all in the execution so, yeah. too right like 
House of uh, I can never remember the name of it. The one I said the I devil. liked the ti- House of the Devil. Thank you. I mean that's yes. that's just another. It's it's another movie where a lot of people get killed. Or you know it's yeah. it's. Well, but that movie and a lot of them from this time frame are movies that are sort of like looking back, right? They're not. Mm-hmm. They're, they're their whole intent is to number one, uh, try to recreate some of the stuff they, you know, it's a nostalgia thing. They're they're doing a, an homage and things like that, so they're trying to recreate the movies they love. But then also they're trying to put a new spin on it or be as crazy as possible or something like that. Whereas these movies were much more of like, oh, this worked once. Let's just keep doing that. Yeah, you know, so House of the Devil is like, I think that movie is is great ninety five percent, and then it goes off the rails a little bit at the end. I still really like it, and I I like the way it looks, and it's fine. But I was like, okay, the the reveal is some big Satan showdown or something like that. Like I felt like that was too too over the top for the movie that was sure both that was presented sort of. up to that point. Yeah, yeah, sure. it was mostly just like unsettling, and uh, you know mm-hmm. just. What what was cool about it was it's not being over the top, and it was just a very mundane kind of. And there's that scene where she's skating around the house to one thing leads to another. One thing leads to another. So you never know like what corner she's going to come around, and she's not going to hear that there's some fucking dude there. That that was stressful as shit, and I love that. That's song, one of my. Yeah, I love that song. I love that me. scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was not so really fucking nervous. Right, I was yeah. so fucking nervous during that scene. And then Greta Gerwig gets that shotgun to the face and stuff. So there's other stuff going on outside the house. And, and just, yeah, that movie is is really good. But I guess my point is that that's a director who's like working in a specific uh, vein to try and, and sure. recreate something or or top or, or just wink at you with something. Whereas these movies are just like, oh, uh, we got we need product every year because we got to fucking milk this golden cow and yeah and so that's all they're all they're doing and yeah and sometimes they still make a good movie out of it like i said four or five i really like people love six i I don't that one's it's way jokey it's more comical so it's kind of like a scream thing before scream but the trade-off is there's no great kills there's no boobs it's just a just a try boring movie and five before it already had some comedy and was like kind of going that route but then it also had a shitload of cool kills and boobs and stuff so i'm just like why do you people not understand that five is the better version of six and why does everybody like six so much and i don't know i think it's because five was actually directed by a porn star and i don't know the guy's probably canceled or something <laughs> i was but, not aware but of then that. but then you know where your bread's buttered right so yes. clearly all right but uh anyway my bigger point that I was trying to make was the fact that uh, some of these are good, some of them are bad. For the most part, though, they're all just kind of cashing a check, whereas Halloween was a actual a guy trying to come up with a movie and an idea and, and all this other stuff, where as this movie is just kind of cynical and, and they just get more cynical as they go along. So. Right. So we agree that before 1980, maybe the idea was this just wasn't done enough, that that's why everybody thought it was... I, I totally agree with that. Yeah. Worth turning into a huge yeah. hit. Okay. Cause like I said, you and I now we see a trailer for some movie where it's like uh, who's the the mass killer? We're like, oh fuck. <laughs> right. <laughs> Here we go again. Yeah, I don't think it was the same back then. No, no. Um it certainly uh was a word of mouth hit that kids got into and clearly became a huge franchise and cultural phenomenon, so they're 
Must have been something there. Then again, uh, think of the dumb shit that takes off these days that's been done to death or we can't figure out what makes it so special or, or who knows. This movie taking off could partly just, just be that kind of phenomenon, right? So I'm just saying maybe people back in 1980, even though they were like, yeah, this movie isn't like good or or I, I don't know if we need eight of these over the next eight years. You know, it's just that, that was something you don't see every day. Like... Yeah, and then they literally did one every year for the next eight years. <laughs> right. <laughs> so that's what I'm saying. I think I think I think that initial wave or whatever of here's something new. I can't believe here's this crazy killer movie. And then, like I said, there were a ton of ripoffs, ton of sequels. Yeah, just like now, you know, something takes off now. It, what it, what was the last trend? Uh, you know, uh, found footage. You know, you're oh, gonna get. Sure. You're going to get the first two or three movies or franchises out of the gate where people are like, yeah, I want to see more of that. And then it's just going to be market saturation and shit that flops and diminishing returns on the original ones. Yeah, maybe it was the same thing. Maybe like Halloween and uh, Friday the 13th were like our Blair Witch and Paranormal Activity or something. Oh, like sure. That. Yep. That's a good point. This movie toys with you a little bit, just like Halloween does. Uh, it's it does, It's not just always going for the jump scare you were talking about that coffee making scene uh there's more of that in halloween uh but there's also scenes like that in here um i literally noted where she's making her coffee and you're just <laughs> waiting for the killer to pop out from behind the door and then she also like walks into that just uh pantry it's like of course she's going into a dark room what's going to happen in there and uh nothing and you know so it does a little bit of the same work to try to build tension as carpenter I guess from here we're basically up to the twist, which is that it's uh, Mrs. Voorhees as the killer. It kind of holds up in retrospect. I, I wasn't sure and never am when I watched this movie, but I, the why people get into cars with her uh, or why she seemed to know certain people or people would trust her or not feel threatened by her. I think that all kind of tracks. There's these couple scenes where, again, it's that POV shot and like you said with the hitchhiker. Why'd she get into the car with that guy who kills yep. her? And uh, why, why did fucking biff or whatever his name is just talk to the killer like he knew knows her the reason is because yeah either either they do know her because she's from around there or she just looks like a kindly old lady who's like sure i'll give you a ride nobody's gonna be like well get away from me crazy old lady or whatever yeah. so and i liked that twist it was uh i did not see that yeah. coming and yeah i liked that it was when you first see her she's pulling up in the jeep and she's comforting whatever the main yeah. girl's name was, but she you you think for a second maybe maybe this is a sympathetic character, but when she says her name something Voorhees, I'm like, Oh, oh, that's not yeah. good. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Did that twist surprise you or get you? Yeah, yeah. I I it did surprise me. So you didn't, me. I, didn't know it going in? <clears throat> I did not know it. I I thought so you'd never heard like the trivia stat that the actual original, you know, no, or whatever. I, I had heard that. I had heard that Jason isn't in the first one, except for I knew about the scene where he comes out of the water, but okay. I knew that he wasn't the main uh, character in the movie. Now, what I thought that meant was it was going to be more about the um, his brother, Jason. Yeah, <laughs> the story of his long lost uh, brother. Yeah, the story of of 
Jason and why why we're doing these things. But yeah, it, uh, it, gotcha. But then well, then when she comes, then they finally explain some of that. I'm like, oh, so that's what I had. That's what I knew that at some point they're going to have to explain what the hell is going on with like, <laughs> why yeah. you know, they don't even talk why about people get into the car with him. Yeah. Cause he's yeah. You're like, why would you get in a car with a guy with a hockey mask? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah, she doesn't have this movie by the way. And uh, number three is the one we, we reviewed that is lost to the world, but uh, that is the one where he gets his hockey masks. So. Okay. So two um, does not have that. Then. I really need to watch nope. two. Two, he's a bag head. He's got like a just a sack over his head. Oh wow, okay. Yeah. So what? Wait, what were we talking about? We we're saying that. Oh, uh, you asked if I about my oh, thoughts if, on yeah, the ending. Yeah. What? Yeah, if it surprised you or caught you off guard. Okay. So when that lady pulled up, what did you think was going on? Uh, I thought. Or, just I thought, thought she was just like there to help out. Yeah, I was confused about the jeep thing because I know that his uh, the the guy had been trying to. Um, get his Jeep started at the restaurant. And mm-hmm. I'm like, well, okay, so is who is this chick? Is that does she know? <laughs> does she know that guy? At why the the it was yeah it was a, it was a genuine surprise. I thought she was just pulling up maybe to help, but I, obviously I was suspicious because <laughs> it's a yeah Friday the thirteenth. <laughs> but yeah, it was a right. uh, it was kind of a genuine surprise that that she was the one That's doing good. it the whole time. Well, yeah. I only asked because like I said, it's, you know, even if you watch scream or something, one of the, the killers, like who's the killer in Friday the 13th. And the girl's like, Jason, he's like, wrong answer. She's like, it's Jason Voorhees. She's like, ah, it was his mother in the first film. And blah, blah. so I mean, I'm just saying it, it's out there. It's not like, right. If you ever, if anybody ever is like talking Friday the 13th, it usually comes up. So I'm, I'm just saying, I'm surprised the, Surprise wasn't ruined for you based on yeah somehow it hadn't been. years of pop culture yeah that's good I like how she tries to barricade the door with everything she can find whether it's helpful to hold the door closed or not she's like just <laughs> piling up little things on top little of chairs things. at a certain <laughs> point yeah she's like that'll hold it it's either that's either to be funny or, or you know like we're supposed to laugh at that or it's an astute observation on like you know the logical shit we do when we're scared yeah like if if i lock this door and deadbolt it and push the couch in front of it and yeah you know, what yeah whatever like i'll be more safe or something so right so she know. takes an end table and one flimsy chair and i don't know yeah yeah exactly kind of like lays it on top it's just... Uh-huh. <laughs> just shove that aside and of course he's just gonna bust in through the window anyway. right i mean it's... And she like shouts the "What am I gonna do?" line out loud. I thought that was pretty funny. She's like, "What am I gonna do?" <laughs> <laughs> and the shot is set up so you know something coming through the window. Like she's she's over here, and there's this, here's the window, and like, right. <laughs> like you wouldn't be shooting it that way if there wasn't something coming through there. So right. Um, so the movie doesn't always circumvent expectations. I guess is what I'm trying to get at there. Despite what I was saying earlier about how it's got some of those moments. Um, Betsy Palmer plays, uh, Mrs. Voorhees. She was 54 at the time, uh, they made this movie and she had her first film role in 1955. So she's 25 years into her career and then she's in this and not much else. Really? So it was a lot of small roles. Yeah. She's on a lot of 
TV shows and stuff. And But yeah, I don't know. Hold on a second. I'll tell you. Friday the 13th was produced and directed by Seanus Cunningham, who had previously worked with filmmaker Wes Craven on The Last House on the Left. Cunningham, inspired by John Carpenter's Halloween, wanted Friday the 13th to be shocking, visually stunning, and make you jump out of your seat. Wanting to distance himself from The Last House on the Left, Cunningham wanted Friday the 13th to be more of a roller coaster ride. The original screenplay was tentatively called A Long Night at Camp Blood. But working on a redraft of the screenplay, Cunningham proposed the title Friday the 13th, after which Miller began redeveloping. Miller, who delighted in inventing a serial killer who turned out to be somebody's mother, a murderer whose only motivation was the love for her child, I took motherhood and turned it on its head, and I think that was great fun. Mrs. Voorhees was the mother I'd always wanted, a mother who would have killed for us kids. Miller wasn't happy about the filmmaker's decision to make Jason Voorhees the killer in sequels. Jason was dead from the very beginning. He was a victim, not a villain. The idea of Jason appearing at the end of the film was initially not used in the original script. In Miller's final draft, the film ended with Alice merely floating in the lake. Jason's appearance was actually suggested by makeup designer Tom Savini. Oh, it's always Savini, of course. Uh, he of George Romero and uh, oh, okay. Dawn, uh, the sex machine. Savini stated that the whole reason for the cliffhanger at the end was I had just seen Carrie, so we thought we needed a jump scare. Well, he calls it a chair jump. My brain read it as jump scare, but... Uh, that's correct. Good job, brain. Um, <laughs> like that. And I said, let's bring in Jason. Casting. Here we go. Estelle Parsons was initially asked to portray the film's killer, Mrs. Voorhees, but declined with her acting or with her agent citing that the film was too violent and did not know what kind of actress would play such a part. Shelley Winters was also offered the part, but turned it down. Hughes and Moss sent a copy of the script to Betsy Palmer in hopes that she would accept the part. Palmer could not understand why someone would want her for a part in a horror film, as she had previously starred in films such as Mr. Roberts, The Angry Men, and Tintin Star. We're big fans of all of those here at the Big Four O. Here at Big Four O, absolutely. They're in our Hall of Fame. Palmer only agreed to play the role because she needed to buy a new car, even when she believed the film to be a piece of shit. Now you see why it was worth me getting to this. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> Stavrak is subbed for Betsy Palmer as well, which involved Morgan's character being chased through the woods by Mrs. Voorhees. Although the audience only sees a pair of legs running after Morgan, Palmer had just arrived in town when those scenes were about to be filmed and was not in physical in the physical shape necessary to chase Morgan around the woods. Morgan's training as an acrobat assisted her in her scenes as her character was required to leap out of a moving Jeep when she discovers Mrs. Voorhees does not intend to take her to camp. Betsy Palmer explains, I traced Pamela back to my own high school days in the early 40s, so it's 1944, a very conservative time, and Pamela is a steady boyfriend. They have sex, which is very bad, of course, and Pamela soon gets pregnant with Jason. The father takes off, and when Pamela tells her parents, they disown her because having babies out of wedlock isn't something that good girls do. I think she took Jason and raised him to be the best she could, but he turned out to be a very strange boy. She took lots of odd jobs, and one of those jobs was as a cook at summer camp. Then Jason drowns and her whole, her, her, her whole, okay, fuck, her whole world. I got this. Shut up. You do. No, I'm not <laughs> laughing with you. Okay. Her whole world collapses. 
What were the counselors doing instead of watching Jason? They were having sex, which is the way that she got into trouble. From that point on, Pamela became very psychotic and puritanical in her attitudes as she was determined to kill all of the immoral camp counselors. Cunningham wanted to make Mrs. Voorhees' character terrifying, and to that end, he believed it was important that Palmer not act over the top. There was also the fear that Palmer's past credits as more of a wholesome character would make it difficult to believe she would be scary. Palmer was paid $1,000 per day for 10 days on the set. Okay, there we go. Tom Savini was hired to design the film's special effects based on his work in George A. Romero's Dawn of the Dead. Savini's design contributions, including crafting the effects of Marcy's axe wound to the face, yes. The arrow penetrating Jack's throat, yes. And Mrs. Voorhees' decapitation by Machete, yes. Oh, I will say about that decapitation scene, I love as she's going down with her head off, her fists are shaking. Yeah. Like, ah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. You can see, like, bones sticking out of her neck. It was disgusting. Yeah. I also liked her talking to herself as Jason. I thought that was a, a fun little wrinkle. Yeah. So, even though I agree. it's kind of weird, but it made her just seem more more crazy and whatnot. So, uh, the other thing I thought about her is she's fairly old. Like, just fight her. What? Like, yeah. why? Uh, why is nobody like? <laughs> especially just he's rolling up on you with an axe or something. Just fucking like start right. have a fight. Like, don't just stand there and. Yeah. Like the final I, chick I don't know gets it. Girl. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, but even she was getting her ass kind of kicked. I don't know. Yeah. Jason's mom has got it going on, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Jason's mom. <laughs> got it going. Yeah, I mean, but like better than just throwing whatever you can that you grab as you're walking away from it. That was a pretty funny thing where it's like the POV killer shot. She's just grabbing like shit off the wall, like no, sponges yeah. and stuff. Uh-huh. We haven't even really talked about the main girl in this movie. You got anything to say about her? Uh, that being the, the final girl. Yeah. Um, I thought there were times that her acting was a bit bad and there were times I thought she was fine. <laughs> I didn't, I, uh, she looked well, like her name is, Mother, her name's Adrian King. Okay, she was also in uh, Saturday Night Fever and Hair. Oh, mm. she's sixty-three years young. Yeah, uh, she's also in Part Two, I guess. Yeah, and Four. I think those are just flashbacks. She's in Ghostbusters and Extra. Wow. <laughs> Adrian King. I, I think she's good in this. I, I don't think any of the cast are particularly captivating or would have deserved to be I don't want to say left alive, but I mean like, you know, <laughs> nobody else in there is a better final True. girl or whatever. So True. She's got a wholesome good look about her. I, I think the girl's a good actress, especially, you know, grading against some of the other people in the cast. Every, no Nobody's terrible here. Like I said, that First girl who, um, you know, her boyfriend shoots the bow and arrow thing at her. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she's like, you almost, you know, kill me or scare me half to death or whatever. And she's yeah. She's also the one who suggests Naked Monopoly. She gets better as the movie goes on. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that original scene, I'm just saying. So there's, there's a lot of people who give some like weird line readings and stuff like that, and I I thought uh, she was better than most of them. Yeah, I so. agree. I agree with that. Um. Yeah, 
and then we just get to that final shocker where Jason pops up and pulls her out of the water, which doesn't make a shitload of sense like we were saying, but who knows what answers part two has in store for us. And we shall see. I'm I'm definitely going to be watching it, so should we need any material for a bonus, I'm DTF, yeah. man. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> in that case, so I'm not going to bother doing a box office chart since these are outside of 1983s. But I'll say uh, Friday the 13th has a budget of $550,000, and its box office returns were $59.8 million. Wow. Not to mention, I mean, it's clearly going to be one of the most uh, shown on cable, DVD, you know, back-end type shit money. Right. It's It's got to be up there. So, obviously a big hit. Halloween had a three hundred to three hundred twenty-five thousand dollar budget. Ended up making seventy million, and again, same deal, like just residuals up the ass for for years. So for years, right? Yeah, and still, and they're still making money off the the brands uh, right now. The Friday the Thirteenth franchise is embroiled in some weird thing between who actually owns the rights and it's holding up any future films, but. Like I said, I like the 2009 reboot a lot, and it's been, Jesus, 14 years since that now. God, time flies. Yeah, but I know. It's insane. Either way, we haven't had Jason back in a while, and these most recent crap of Michael Meyer movies aren't my favorite. But, uh, yeah, there's no denying these two guys are... Cash cows. Well, not just cash cows, but, like, yeah, we were talking about, you know, kind of the two... The OGs, you yeah. Your Michael Myers, Jason, and then Freddie, and I don't know who gets the fourth place in that Mount Rushmore. Probably Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Probably Leatherface. Yeah, yeah. Those are the OGs. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, so uh, stars. Uh, what did we say? Uh, did we? We didn't do this yet, did we? For we didn't. Not for this yeah. one. No. I. All right. I'll go first. Peter, I what guess. is your? What is your? <laughs> Hey, <laughs> yeah. What is your official star rating? The official Peter Friday star rating for this movie is two and a half stars. Um, <laughs> I I think that's on that's that's my thoughts on the movie and as a uh, as a fan and as a critic, however you want to put it. <clears throat> I I I think it's I think it's fun. You know, I think two and a half is is a pretty good compliment for me. I mean it. It's fun. It it checks off all the boxes. It it does the uh, you know you know what's coming. Well, until the end, which I didn't know was coming. So in that sense, the the movie works and it's it's a blast. So you know, besides some of the some of the acting and some of the dull points of the movie, shot it down from a three for me. Uh, I don't know. Normally, I would have been with you and said two and a half, and I don't love it it's it's one of those that like i said i'm kind of disappointed by on rewatch and stuff like that but i don't know watching it this time and just thinking about what it's starting out as and where it's coming from and all that um and i i was a little more impressed because i was paying a little more attention to how it kind of sticks the landing with the reveal and all that i don't know that i love the the final shocker of him still being alive even though that's the you know one of its iconic shots or set pieces but it just seems so dumb but 
I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and say three stars where I okay. would have been at two and a half probably before this. Sure. I really had to go I really had to go through it in my head. Sorry about that. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> Next week. Yeah. We have another bonus episode. We do due to 1983's Just... piss poor <laughs> fall wow. schedule. I'm excited. Tell the people about it, Peter. Well, with the World Series and baseball playoffs heating up across the uh-huh. country, Ooh. Ooh, I we love thought that it would be time to uh, revisit the American, 1989 like <laughs> the 1989 film Major League, directed Ooh, by I one David one. S. Ward. Yeah, and yes, yes. we will uh, also revisit the 1998 film with Trey Parker and Matt Stone, Basketball. Which oh. may or may not have been directed by the Farrelly brothers. I can't remember for sure. It's not David Zucker. Oh. Damn it. That's right. It's David Zucker. And that's, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> From Shorewood, Wisconsin, David Zucker, like I said. <laughs> yep. Yep. Him. So we will be, of, we will be having a. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Did we he go like White a... Ring and Crazy or was it? Yeah. Jerry Zucker. I can't remember. Oh. Oh, yeah, it might have been him. I don't know. <laughs> One of them did, for sure. Yeah. All right. Just saying. Yeah. So stay tuned for some baseball-themed fun. And remember, kids, <laughs> to rate, <laughs> yeah, like, subscribe, yep. oh, telephone, tell a friend, mm-hmm. do what you need telephone. to do. Telethon. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. In the spirit of Jerry Lewis, get on TV for 24 hours talking about <laughs> the big 4-0 where better podcasts are found. Yeah, no music. None of that. No bullshit. music, no ads. Just There's not going to be an outro. It's just that we're going to be done in a minute and you just won't hear anything. And that'll you be just it. won't and hear anything. You can just hit time. stop when we hit stop. Yeah, other than talking about this. <laughs> right. <some> time. <laughs> All right. Well, Peter, I'm looking forward to next week. Uh, as you can see, I was super surprised by that reveal of what we're going to be doing. And I'm looking yeah. forward to it. Genuine. <laughs> Genuine. I am. I am. I, we almost watched it this week. And then I was like, yeah, yeah you know what? <laughs> Halloween, good... baby. We yeah. scares. Solid All these kids idea, got sir. Now is a saw rehash and a, like, I don't even know what else is out there. Isn't there one other scary movie? Uh, I don't know. Right now. I don't know about saw, currently. They, they, yeah, we got a saw. We did, we had another scream last year. They're still pumping some screams out. No, no, no. There's literally like another one out right now. Another thing, mm. scary one. I don't know. Forget it. Barbie. None two. None two. Oh, none two. There you go. Stop. Stop trying to invoke Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, that'll be my last time. Okay. Uh, yeah. Well, anyway, I'm looking forward to next week's baseball related episode i as well sir and i hope that you and our beloved listeners have a great rest of your evening and week and month (laughs) (laughs) right i mean we're gonna see him in a little bit right next week a little bit (laughs) a little bit (laughs) 